like anything was possible Hit cruise control And rub my eyes The last three days When the rain was unstoppable It was always cold No sunshine Tom Petty, Running Down a Dream from 1989. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friend Show. And this is being broadcast and recorded live on October 4th, 2017. Time right now, 8.35 p.m. Pacific Time. And a lot happened this week, as I'm sure you all know. And that will be our discussion. One of the things that happened this week that's not getting very much discussion at all because of the bigger story is Tom Petty passed away at the age of 66. I actually almost went to see him in Los Angeles 
the week prior. In fact, uh, my sister wanted to go see him, and I I was assisting her get tickets to go see him. But uh, the power of social media is not always good, and in this case, uh, it drove the ticket prices for Tom Petty's third of three concerts. He did three concerts in L.A., Thursday, Friday, and Monday of last week, and he drove the, the price got driven up big time for the Monday concert because there's such good word of mouth about the Thursday and Friday concerts on social media. So she wanted to go on Monday. She got frustrated. The prices got so high. I got frustrated. The prices went so high, and uh, um, neither of us ended up going. But I, I was strongly considering it. Um, I, I wasn't go- going with her, but I was considering going myself. But uh, now I wish I had, obviously, since uh, there's no opportunity to do that again. So I guess if you want to see a concert of a rock musician who is older, even if he's not really old, but just over 60, it's probably better to do it soon, especially because some of these people, they abused their bodies when they were younger with drugs and stuff like that, so they don't necessarily have the life expectancy that the average person would have, despite... uh, having a lot of money at their disposal. So, Tom Petty, dead at the age of 66. I played the Running Down a Dream song in honor of him. And at the very, very end of the video, if you go watch the video, which I love, I think it's a great video, and the very end, you see an animated Tom Petty in his bed, supposed to be during a dream, um, flying the bed off into space and disappearing. And I kind of picture that's what he's doing uh, in reality since uh, he's gone and that's uh, nobody knows where you end up when you're dead but that kind of I thought was a fitting end to that video considering what happened so Calwatt hello welcome to Poker Fraudler Radio how you doing Drew? glad to have you tonight and we're going to have Trader Ruski on tonight as well he can uh, in fact I'll connect him whenever I tell him to call in then we always have to just hang up and call him back because of some oddity with Skype so we'll just add him on here hopefully he's ready if not, we'll have him on very soon. And this show is its going to be a little bit serious this time, over a serious matter that occurred on Sunday night. Uh, Trader Ruski, hello. What's happening, Jeff? It's good to have you on here, too. And uh, thank you. Trader Ruski, by the way, donated to the free roll, which I should mention before we get going, because the free roll starting in two minutes. You still have 25 additional minutes to get in there, so don't panic. 25 minutes of late registration. It starts at 8.40 p.m. on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. It is a $70 free roll thanks to two people. Thanks, one, to Charham, who gave $50, and Ruski, who gave 20 The prize pool this week, it's uh, split up as follows. First place gets, 70, or gets $35. Second place gets $17. Third place gets... $11, and fourth place gets 7 So it's 35 17 11 and 7 That's on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. It's No Limit Hold'em. Same thing as always. You need a separate account on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, but there's additional rules to win the free money. So go check them out. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. If you're new to the show, and I think we have some new listeners tonight who want to hear about the information that I have to provide people about uh, Stephen Paddock, the Las Vegas shooter. Unfortunately, if you're a new listener, you cannot win money in the free roll. That's one of the rules. 
So go to PokerFraudAlert.com slash freeroll, all lowercase, to read and understand the rules, which have not changed in a while, but you need to know them if you want to qualify for the free money. But it's a totally free tournament. It does not cost even any play chips. Totally free to get in. We give away cash money, meaning I will send it to you in one of many ways, including a bank transfer, including Bitcoin, including cash or check if you accumulate $100 or more winnings over time, and some other methods that you might be able to think of that would involve the electronic transfer of money. So just either PM me on the forum, Dan Space Druff, or email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, to claim your money if you are eligible and if you win. So that is starting at 840, which is right now. 25 minutes late registration. You will get a full stack if you sit down late. Here is the rest of the intro stuff, and then we will get going with this uh, unfortunately serious show about an unfortunate matter. If you want to call into the show, though we're probably not going to take calls much during the first segment, the phone number is 775-372-8355, better known as 775-FRAUD55. 775-372-8355. That's our main phone number. You can also text that number at any time before, after, or during the show. So if you just want to text something, I will read it on the air unless you ask me not to at the beginning of your text. You can also text that number anytime, even when we're not on the air, and I will respond to you. 775-372-8355, our main number, which you can call or text during the show. And you can text it at any time, actually. We also have the Mount Charleston line. Mount Charleston is a mountain near Las Vegas. It's about 45 minutes away by car. I have a cabin there where the old 70s rotary telephone sits and forwards to me wherever I go. That phone number is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808. Do not text that number. Rotary telephones cannot receive texts. But 702-430-1808 is the alternate number. If you try to call the show and we don't answer, don't call me 10 times in a row. That's not going to help the situation. In fact, I will probably block your number from the show permanently. So don't do that. If you call once or twice, I don't answer. Then just wait 15 minutes and try back. Or wait until I announce that we're taking phone calls. If you want to listen to the show, but you don't have a computer, you don't have the internet you don't have a data plan or you don't have a smartphone, or you're going to be driving somewhere and, honestly, you don't have very good reception, don't worry about it. You can use the call-to-listen line. The call-to-listen line is a phone number you just call and listen to the show. You can listen to the live show, or you can call when we're not live on the air and you will hear one of our many reruns playing as if it's live. And then when that's done, it'll pick one of our other reruns. We have a library of about 250 reruns that it'll pick from the five and a half years we've been on the air. So that phone number, 712-775-8162, 712-775-8162. That is the call to listen line. And some people love it because it will not cost you any data. There's no buffering. doesn't need a very strong cell phone signal. Even one bar will do. Totally free if you can call Iowa in the United States for free then you can call that for free. It's made a straight flush, Drew. On the, on the free roll? Yeah. Oh, wow. So your, your luck continues. Cal Watts is a very hard guy to beat in the free roll. Well, that's not always true. Sometimes he's out really fast, but if he gets chips, he's probably going to win. He just Once he starts running well, it just doesn't end. It's, it's <laughs> feast or famine with him. So 
might might have something to do with how much I'm paying attention to. Yeah, my my no. Look, sometimes, sometimes not a whole lot. Sometimes not caring in a tournament actually gives you an advantage. Sometimes going in like I don't give a crap what happens and just playing kind of uh, like uh, well with an attitude of I don't. I'm not that, saying that's the that's best strategy. Sword. It, it is, but I I've actually won tournaments thanks to approaching them with that uh, that attitude. And at the World Series, I can't do that. But uh, like I've entered like small tournaments where I just. Uh, I don't even think. I'm like, eh, if this feels right, I'll just do it. Like, I sometimes it's a lot easier to go with your instinct if the tournament isn't that meaningful to you. And yeah, well, I mean, I mean, shit like you know, calling a four bet shove with ten queen offsuit or something like that. Yeah, well, no, I never do that even if I don't care. But uh, <laughs> but but I have had times where like at, at more meaningful tournaments, I'd really have to think about it, or I may not shove. You know, I may just bet yep. and then think of folding to a shove, or other times like. All in, and then they call, and then so, somehow when I get it in bad in those situations, if it's a small tournament, then that's when I get lucky and uh, and bad beat them. So, but Helm Youth on tilt, have them berate you. Yeah, tell them thumbs up doesn't constitute a raise, stuff like that. Uh, let's see what else we got here before we begin the chat room. You can go during the show. You need a flash enabled device, and you need a poker fraud alert form account in good standing to get in there. But just click the chat button near the top of the screen. If you forget any of the phone numbers to call during the radio show, including the call to listen line, you can find them all on the radio page. Just click on the radio tab near the top of the screen at PokerFraudAlert.com. You can also listen to the show in the archives if you miss it. There are many ways to do so. You can listen on iTunes. You can download the MP3 directly from our server. You can listen on an app called Stitcher. You can use an app called TuneIn, which can also be used to listen to the live show. And Google Play is also supported. Google Play can be used to listen to the show. So a lot of options to listen if you miss the show or want to hear some portions of it again. I want to make it as easy as possible. That's why I give so many different listening options here. As long as they don't cost, cost me a lot of money, then I won't do it. I'm too cheap. So here's the agenda tonight, and then we will get going. We're going to give a lot of coverage to the shooting that occurred on Sunday night in Las Vegas. A lot of different subtopics there. But I think the one that might interest people here the most is the insider information that I have received from a casino employee that is not being reported anywhere in the media. I'm sure you've seen in the media that this guy was a gambler, that he played video poker, that they said he made some big bets and hit some big jackpots at times. It's not clear if he won or lost, blah, blah, blah. I'm sure you've seen that stuff in the media. But I have a pretty complete picture of this guy and his gambling habits. I shouldn't say complete. I'd say uh, uh, mostly complete. There are some things I still don't know. And there yeah, are some- I saw the media coverage of him being, you know... Uh- a high roller gambler and that kind of stuff. And it's tough to know whether it's accurate or it's just the media, you know, latching on to right. the whole gambling. Right. Thing, and that's know. how I felt when I read it too. I thought that a lot of this yeah. seemed like BS or they're just, uh, they're not understanding what they're talking about or taking you know, third hand information that wasn't good in the first place. So I have good information. I have information that I believe is accurate. I don't have a hundred percent verification, but I believe it's accurate. And it's information that you will not find anywhere else on the web. Only here. So I'm going to give out that not, information. Not even tonight. in the Googles? 
Not even in the Google. So you won't find it anywhere. After, after I reveal it here, Google, you won't find it anywhere except our site. And uh, that's because, for whatever reason, I guess the mass media and even the non-mass media, they just have not been contacted by casino employees who would have access to this information like I have. And the reason I was is because, uh, and I thought this might happen, because of this site's involvement in the gambling world, because of this show, because we have a wide enough listener base that there are casino employees who listen, that I thought there might be some people who bring some things to me. So that has happened. So I'm going to tell you the, the stuff that's not being reported anywhere. You'll get a better picture of his gambling habits. Is it going to explain why he did what he did? No. I, nobody knows that right now, at least not to my knowledge. I don't know it. We may never know it. So that if you're waiting for that bombshell, it's not going to fall on this show. But you will learn about his gambling habits, and it may at least remove a possible motive that might be in your head. So we're going to talk all about that. A lot of different things to discuss involving what actually happened and the aftermath. And we'll even discuss a conspiracy theory that's being floated out there. Also, after we're done covering that whole long and important topic, I'm going to give you an update on the disappearing Bitcoin cash outs on Bovada and Ignition. Remember we talked about that last week. It's getting very, very little coverage and press in the poker community, in the poker media. I will give you an update on that and whether you should be concerned if you cash Bitcoin out from Bovada or Ignition. The ATMs at Caesars Properties in Las Vegas are really the the bane of addicted gamblers. <laughs> it causes people to lose even more money than they expected to lose. You know, they bring a certain amount that they're comfortable losing to Vegas, lose it, and then they hit the ATM to get more. Well, they're going to lose even more because the fees have gone up to outrageous fees at Caesars Properties. Do not use the ATM there. I'll tell you what they're charging and why that's so outrageous. Antigua, in their never-ending battle with the U.S. regarding a World Trade Organization decision that said the U.S. owes them money, they're still trying to collect and having difficulty. I'll explain what way they're trying to collect, what way they're supposed to collect, and why they have been unsuccessful and why they may continue to remain unsuccessful. This may be never collected. And I'll also give you my opinion as to the decision in the first place. An Indian casino cheats a man out of a large jackpot, and they've gotten away with it. So you always have to watch out when you play at Indian casinos, because there's very little recourse against them legally. I will tell you that the jackpot that this man got stolen from him by the casino was in excess of... One million dollars. Nope. No, I needed to be no sound. I I think I just put it on now. Here, we'll try it again. It was in excess of... One million dollars. Did that work? There you go. There we go. Okay, beautiful. Stupid Skype. The court, or a court, ruled against a card counter in a lawsuit where a counter was ejected and was trying to get back... Or actually, he was was ejected and he sued the, the property... 
for the circumstances of his ejection and everything that happened, uh, he lost that lawsuit. So I'll explain that lawsuit, and I will give you my opinion as to who should have won. Finally, the Hilton Aruba, this is the place that had the PPC that cheated everyone at the end of last year, you know, where people made a final table and basically nobody got paid except for $10,000. If you made more than ten k at the final table, you did not get paid. Well, the poker room there is attempting to get going again, despite that scandal. And it's a little shadier, the poker room itself, than you might have imagined. Of course, people were blaming the operators of the PPC, uh, Brian Olton and Sandy Schwarzbaugh, and they definitely deserve the blame, but the poker room itself was not blameless and should not be supported. I'll explain what's going on and what they're trying to do to get that poker room going again. This is a Poker Fraud Alert exclusive that, again, is not being reported anywhere else. So, we're going to get right into it here, but before we start, I just want to remind everybody that Live at the Bike, one week from today, I'm going to be on there. I believe the stream starts at 6 o'clock Pacific time. Just go to liveatthebike.com, liveatthebike.com, and you can watch me play poker, 5-5 No Limit Hold'em. There will also be Eric Ryland in the game. There will also be Saul, also known as Lollaman to some forum posters. And... I don't think Larry Laffer is going to end up making it. Uh, Brandon Drexel Gerson may be there. And Jay Jamie from the forum and who once co-hosted the show may be there. But there will at least be three of us there. At the very least, there will be Saul, there will be Ryland, there will be me on Live at the Bike at 6 o'clock. Of course, there will not be a Poker Fraud Alert radio that night. Tentatively, I am... And the Hanson kid is going to be commentating. Yeah, right. The Hanson kid's going to be commentating. That's I'm even sure better. I'm sure he will be busting your balls I'm, to some extent. I'm sure he will be. <laughs> so, that'll be one week from today, October 11th, at 6 p.m. Pacific time. Of course, this show will not take place that night. So, tentatively, the show is scheduled for the next night, Thursday, at 8.15 Pacific time. But I will update you guys. Check the Poker Fraud Alert Twitter. That's twitter.com slash Alert. It'll either be on Thursday or Friday, that show, because uh, obviously I can't do the show while I'm on Live at the Bike, nor am I going to have the energy to do it after Live at the Bike. I, fi- I find that thing kind of draining. It's fun, but draining. I, Are you going to try and top the uh, the meal you had last time? I, I might. I might. If they have the same food policy, I might. So it uh, depends how hungry I show up. There's some of the order, Asian dishes order. there are pretty good. Trader Whiskey, were you going to say something? No, I was just going to say, are we taking order requests from the uh, listeners? No, no, because what will happen is they may pick things I don't want to eat, and I, I don't want that to happen. I, I want to eat a lot of food. I don't want to eat very little if I don't like it. So I, I'm going to order. It would be kind of funny if, the, uh, tape, if everyone just kept on calling up and you know, sending beers and chicken wings and all sorts of shit. Well, that's the, the funny thing is on, on the Stone Stream – I felt a little bit bad about like trying to eat too much food after they had already done a number of nice things for me there to, you know, for me to come there and they they got a hotel for me and all that. So uh, I felt a little bit bad trying to eat too much, and it turned out they wanted me to because they they heard in the chat room that I'm known for eating a lot of free food, and they were actually rooting for me to order a lot of stuff, and they were even uh, considering letting people in the chat room order things for me. So <laughs> it didn't what, happen. What about getting a uh, massage at the table? 
No, no, I'm not going to do that. I, I will call up and, and buy one for you. Though. <laughs> no, no, I'm not kidding. My uh, there's a. I think she still works there. Uh, Asian girl named Shirley who's supposed to give amazing back rubs. Really? Hmm. Actually, I'm saying supposed to. I actually got a back rub from her when I was on Live at the Bike. You know, there's a reason that I, I've never had a casino massage ever. Like, not once. I've never had one. Uh, how many have you had in your life? How many massages have I had? No, 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 no. Casino massages. Like, at the poker table. Uh, not that many. Okay. Well, I've had zero. And the reason is because I'm too cheap. Casino massages tend to be like double what I would pay not in the casino. It's like $2 a minute. And it's harder for me to bring myself to pay that. I just can't. So, no matter how tense I am, no matter how much my shoulders or back might ache, I refuse to get that massage. I think I would ache more from having... That's ridiculous, though. You gotta gotta sometimes spend some money on stuff you enjoy in life, you know? I know, but it's just when it's double the price, it just bothers me so much. It, it's hard for me to enjoy it. It's it's just it's look. Just think about it. You're like you're paying for the convenience, okay? Yeah, it's double the price, but you know, you you go somewhere on the strip, you're going to play double the price for just about anything. It's, it's just if it was like twenty percent more, twenty five percent more, that I could justify. It's the, the double just kills me. I just go, ah, double. I I, I just picture two dollars flying out of my wallet every minute. It's so hard. You know, actually, now that I think about it, like, I actually have had a decent number, but part of the reason is that. Um, at some of the underground games around here that I used to go to a lot, uh, there were girls that worked there that gave massages. And uh, I was friends with them, and they were actually were really good. And they were not ridiculously expensive. Uh, okay. So. That explains but it. But I have, I have done it in Vegas. I did do it on Live at the Bike. I don't remember what it cost me. Hmm. Well, you also paid $300 for Brandon to have a slushie. So there's that. <sighs> yeah. That was, for, that was not just for the slushie. That was for the lols. Okay? Come on. <laughs> so... Before we get going, I want to plug our sponsor. We actually do have a sponsor on the show now, lawyer Eric Bensamokin, and I will let my own ad and my own voice do the talking. Okay, now most of you guys know that I'm very picky regarding which sponsors I take. If I don't believe in the product or service being offered, I don't take the ad. And that's why I lose money on the site every month, even though I'm a cheap Jew. And it kills me to send out that money every month, knowing that it is not coming back in. But I'm really, really excited about this new Poker Fraud Alert sponsor, because I feel he's providing a service to the poker community that they really, really need. Eric Bensamokin is an attorney and a longtime poker player who provides arbitration and mediation for poker and gambling-related disputes. Now, simply put, if someone owes you money... Or if they think you owe them money, he's a fully impartial third party you can trust to listen, understand, and decide who's right. The reason you can trust him is because Eric is a licensed attorney in the state of California and federally. And he's able to arbitrate and mediate for you no matter where you live. So you don't have to be in California, you can be anywhere, and he can arbitrate or mediate for you. What makes Eric perfect for this is the fact that he's an attorney bound by the rules and ethics of the state bar. And he's also a longtime poker player, so he understands the issues of our community. And at the same time, he's an outsider, and he, he's probably not likely to know anybody connected to your dispute. So you're not going to have to worry that he's friends with a guy that you're disputing with, or even friends of a friend. He's really an outsider to the community who plays poker for fun, but knows the community really well. It's perfect, and he's a licensed attorney. You can't do better than that. 
This means you will get a completely impartial decision from a qualified attorney who understands everything. And I'll be honest, if I had a poker-related money dispute with someone, Eric is the exact type of arbitrator or mediator that I would be looking for. Take down his email address, eric at eblawfirm.us. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. If you feel you're being scammed or if someone owes you money or if someone's accusing you of owing them money, just send Eric an email. It's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to hurt you. Just send him an email, and he'll tell you what he thinks of the whole situation, and then he can go from there. Eric can perform both arbitration, where he decides who's right, and mediation, where he helps both of you figure out your own agreement. Keep the email address around, even if you don't have a dispute at the moment, because you never know when one will come up, and Eric is exactly the man you need for the job. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. That's attorney Eric Benzamokin, eric at eblawfirm.us. And I want to thank Eric for sponsoring the show. And I, I really do believe in his service. So if, definitely if you need it or you think you even possibly might need it, go ahead and email him. And uh, he will respond to you, just like I will on the text phone number for the show. Taking a look at our text messages from the 702 or 602, not 702. Six, Rob, do you like massages? Yes, I do. I, I like them. It just honestly is the price tag. Yes, it's the price tag. And I, I like right. I like massages, but I will put an asterisk on that. I don't like really hard massages. Some people, they feel like it's a contest to see how hard they can be rubbed. And to me, it's not uh, it's not relaxing, and it doesn't do anything for me. In fact, I've had hard massages before, and I feel so sore, and I think, well, I'm less relaxed than when I started. I like kind of these softer, relaxing massages. Oh, man. You, you ever had a Thai massage? I've had massages in Thailand, and I, I, but I told them I, how I wanted it done. I didn't just let them do it. Oh, yeah, because I, I, when I was in Thailand, I had uh, like this old auntie grandma who was teaching her daughter <laughs> how to give a Thai massage. And the two of them like tag-teamed me, and then they, I mean, they just like, they were climbing on me and pulling on limbs and yanking them. And they, oh they were yanking? They were, they were pulling and yanking. Come on. An man. Asian massage. Grandmother and the granddaughter. Give me a break. This was not so. I don't know. In Thailand, I could believe thing. it. <laughs> no, but I mean, so if I have Shirley, if I pay for her to give you a massage, you're going to take it, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So, uh, so even if I tell her to do it really hard. Uh, well, I'll give different instructions. I'll say, uh, ignore the guy who called and paid for this. I appreciate I he paid for her- it, but. Ignore the guy who's getting the massage, but you don't get paid. It'd be a big battle that? in life of the bike. She'll be saying, no, 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 he told me I have to. I'm not going to get paid. I go, well, I'm not and accepting it. text her and, and double the fee. <laughs> this is going to be a standoff here. Okay. So here, here's what I got from the 602. Already someone chiding me. Is there any reason why the show never starts on time? You always advertise a start time and never stick to it. Okay, then just add like 15 or 20 minutes and you'll know the real start time. Uh, he says, hearing the shooter was a regular at the win, won a Mercedes-Benz in a drawing amongst other drawing prizes. I don't know about that, but that might be true. Uh, let's see what else we have here. From the 410, I love you, will you take my call? Uh, yes, but uh, not right now. From the 773, uh, might as well wait till this game is over to start the show. Yeah, I wasn't happy about having to start the show tonight in this very close... NLDS uh, wildcard game between the Rockies and the Diamondbacks, and the winner of it will go on to play the Dodgers on Friday. And I'm a big Dodgers fan. 
and it's been, the Diamondbacks almost blew a six nothing lead, but they're up eleven uh, eight at the moment. In fact, they were. Uh, it was tied. They did blow the lead. They were. It was tied, and uh, they. Uh, anyway, it's, it's, I don't it, think it was tied. No, it wasn't. It was within one. You're right. It wasn't tied. But it's eleven eight right now, and it's top of the ninth. So, even though they are, uh, they scored a run in the top of the ninth to make it eleven eight. It was eleven seven before, but uh, I think it's pretty much done. But you never know. The Arizona bullpen isn't that great. But uh, I am glad to see that these two are having to wear out their pitchers so much, because whoever wins is going to be a little bit tired coming into Friday. But yeah, I kind of wanted to see the end of that one. But what can I do? What can I do? Now I will tell you if, if I may schedule this around the Dodgers games. So if, if there's a Dodgers playoff game, then I probably will not start the show until it's over. If it happens to be on a night of radio, I haven't. Uh, I'm not even sure if the schedule has been figured out that far yet. But uh, now I have committed for live at the bike on Wednesday, so I guess I will miss a Dodgers game if it happens to be uh, next week. So let's see what other texts we got here. Uh, stuck here. This is what I get for trying to... I'm reading these texts on my phone instead of doing it on the computer like I usually do, and I'm sorry I'm doing that now. Uh, from the 303, Druff, my first time listening live. I don't see the chat on the chat tab. Is there something you'll be turning on? No, it's it's on. <laughs> you need to be logged in, and you need to have a flash-enabled device. So an iPhone or iPad will not work. From the 216... Or most modern browsers won't work either. Let's, let's, not, let's not talk about well, that. Well, you, you have to manually enable it. Hey, the, the chat is getting restless, Druff. I know. Like, start the paddock talk. I know, I know. Someone says, quit the small... This is what one of the texts says. Quit the small talk and get on with the show. I need to get laid and go to sleep at some point. Well, you should have done that during the intro. You would you, you knew the intro was going to be like like 40 minutes. I'm sure that was enough time to get laid. All right, let's, let's start the topic of it, Paddock. So I, I started getting tons of texts coming in on Sunday night. Sunday, October 1st, uh, at night, about a shooting in Las Vegas at a country concert. And at first I thought it was just, you know, some guy showed up with a gun and shot someone. I thought people were just texting me because, you know, it's something that happened in Las Vegas. Then I, I went to go read the news about it, and boy, was that a shocking story. And something that immediately perplexed me and I guess this is what I get for going to CNN to read. But CNN says, uh, uh, at least two dead, dozens injured. And then it described what was going on with with a, a shooter who had shot from the window with high-powered weaponry for several minutes from the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay across the street to a country music concert while Jason Aldean was singing. And I thought, okay... Um, how is it possible there's only two dead in that case? This is at least two dead, but how could they say at least two? Like, at least two kind of means, like, two, but maybe a little bit more than two. But it wasn't at least two. There's 58 dead, and then 59 if you count the shooter who killed himself. And then over 500 were injured. So that's a pretty bad estimation. And then you you can't even say that CNN got bad information because... I went to other news sites, and it was saying 20-plus dead, and 
So yeah, the, the death toll always gets updated as they get more information, and I realize that, but initially it, it made it seem like maybe the casualties weren't that bad, but then within not too long, uh, the, the truth came out, and uh, very, very tragic situation. The fact that it happened in Las Vegas... The fact that it happened at a, a country music concert, and I actually am a fan of country music, it's somewhere that I easily could have been. I wasn't in Las Vegas at the time, so there's no way I would have been there, but if I was in Las uh, Vegas... You wouldn't have been there if they charged admission. Well, that's I, I thought of that too. Maybe it was too expensive for me. <laughs> but yeah, I it, it really hit close to home, and also the first thing I thought was, wow, I wonder if anybody I know was killed there or injured there. Because I know a lot of people in Las Vegas. I lived there for a long time. Uh, even not living there anymore, I know a lot of people who still live there. Uh, I know a lot of people who listen to this show and read and post on the Poker Fraud Alert forum and my other forum, Vegas Casino Talk, are from Las Vegas. So I, I wondered if anyone that I knew, or maybe even people I didn't know that listen to this show or lurk on the forum... Uh, could have been there and could have been among the victims. And it's just something that, that hits a lot closer to home when it's a place that you once live, a place you still visit a whole lot, a place where you know a lot of people, and a, a city very, very much associated with the content of this show and this site. In addition just to the overall very tragic nature of the situation and the fact that 58 people were killed for doing absolutely nothing wrong. They were just randomly killed by a madman. And it could have been much more. And we still don't know why. Still don't know why. It's, it, we know exactly who did it, but we don't know why. We may never know why. We, we, yeah, we may. I was about to say, we may never know why this happened. Yeah. and, and no, uh, Not really. And uh, unfortunately... I hate, I hate to use this word, but he came up with a, an innovative new way to, to kill people in mass amounts in a crowd that I'm surprised hasn't been thought of until now. But now that it's been thought of, I'm afraid there will be copycats as well, especially uh, terrorism. I don't think this was terrorism, but uh, I'm afraid there may be copycats from actual terrorists that want to do this again. That instead of trying to shoot people from the ground, if you can get a high vantage point in a tall building and there's a crowd below and you can get high powered weaponry up there. You can really, really, really cause a lot of death and destruction. And what makes you say it is not terrorism? Well, I don't know for sure. I'll, I'll get into that. Uh, when we go through the, the topics, but I, I, at the moment I, I just think the guy just did it. That's, that's my, uh, my theory at the moment. Uh, now something else that made the story, especially of interest to me to want to follow and know every detail was the fact that the shooter named Stephen Paddock, who is uh, 64 years old, that he was a video poker fanatic, that he played a whole lot of video poker, that he played for uh, I, not really high stakes, but I think uh, kind of middle high stakes, kind of very similar stakes to what I play. And it made me wonder if this is someone I had ever met. I even read that he was a seven stars at Caesars. He may have been at uh, some of the seven stars events that I went to. Uh, 
made me even wonder if he ever lurked or maybe even posted or had an account on one of my two forums. Because if you Google things for seven stars and video poker, you get a lot of results for both Poker Fraud Alert and uh, VegasCasinoTalk.com. So made me wonder that too. Made me wonder if the, this person was not a 100% stranger to me, even though I, I don't know him, I don't remember him. The name didn't mean anything to me, but this this touches an industry that I'm close to, and in some ways I'm part of. So, And sure enough, I got insider information from someone in that industry for that reason. Otherwise, if this was... Uh, this guy wasn't a video poker player, if this was not a gambler, if this was just some guy who had nothing to do with all that, I would not have any more information on him than anyone else who can just use Google and, and read articles. So it's uh, it's something that's been of, of a lot of interest to me. And then I also now... I'm going to think every time I'm in Vegas, every time I'm in a crowd, especially if it's during some kind of event, at the World Series even, uh, will there be copycats? Will there be others? I don't think there will be others who are associated with him doing this, but uh, there could be others who either got an idea or now want to try to one-up him. And I'm afraid that uh, this could be opening up a new era of this happening in Vegas. I'm not saying it will, but this is something you're going to think about if Vegas is a place that you go. Uh, I'm sure everybody who's listening to this show, I'm sure everybody here, if you were to attend an outdoor concert in Vegas, surrounded by these tall hotels, I don't think it's possible to attend one of those now and not think of this. Even if you want to say, oh, I'm not going to let that stop me, I'm going to do it, I bet it won't happen again. I, I don't think anybody can enter these concerts now without even thinking that. And without even having a, a little bit of concern. What if someone does this again? So I, I've been furiously refreshing various news sites. The best one I found, and I hate to say it, is really what I find to be the best site for reporting American news, even though it's a little bit of a tabloid site, and uh, even though it has a bad reputation in its home country, and that is the Daily Mail in the UK. The Daily Mail, they really just bring all the details. They don't care who they piss off. They don't care uh, who they offend. They don't care if, if the pictures are, are gory or if they're uh, inappropriate or they don't care who, who they embarrass. They just, if there's a story going on in the US, they put out pretty much all the details they can get. They don't hold back anything. So I typically find a Daily Mail story, and you can see on my Twitter, I actually tweeted out a story they have, which is very extensive. There's a whole lot of pictures of, of inside of that room. A whole lot of stuff up there. They, they really did a good job with this, where the rest of the media, it's been kind of shoddy. But I, I've been reading every source I can find about this, because I, I find the story uh, not not only to be tragic and and uh you know makes me curious to follow it to find out more about it but also because of its las vegas setting and because of its association with uh 
casino gambling, video poker, stuff like that, uh, that makes it something that touches me even more. So uh, I want to pretty much know everything. So first of all, I was curious about the reports about the guy's casino gambling. And those came out pretty quickly. And my first thought, and many others' first thought, was that, okay, this guy was probably a, a casino gambler who blew all his money and that pretty much snapped. Pretty much said, I, I blew all my money in casinos now. I'm going to make everyone in Vegas pay and then I'm going to kill myself. Which obviously is not, is not a rational thought process and you know, it's ridiculous to punish innocent people, really punish anyone except for yourself if you lose in gambling, but... Uh, that that was my first impression, especially hearing the guy was just an accountant. I, uh, you know, his brother was claiming that he gambled on cruise ships, and he he sent the occasional picture of a jackpot. That sounded totally to me like this guy was just uh, a fish in the casino, a video poker fish who called himself a professional gambler, but really was a losing player. Because there's there's many people out there who identify themselves as professional gamblers, who are playing negative expectation games, and it sounds crazy, but there really are. A number. I've met a number like that, and I don't even bother to debate with them. I don't even bother to say, no, you're playing negative expectation games. No, you can't be a professional gambler. There's no way. And it's not even like they're doing it in a way where, like, where they're getting comps or free play or something to where it pushes them over positive. They're, they're just, they delude themselves into believing that they've got a system or some nonsense like that, and you can guess how that ends up. So that's what I thought at first happened with him. That was my initial theory. That well, my initial theory was you know, from some incorrect information that was reported on the, on the internet at first was uh, that it was a left wing terrorist. Then I quickly backed away from that and thought it was just uh, it was about gambling in some way. I no longer believe that. I no longer believe it was about gambling. But gambling was very much a part of Stephen Paddock's life, very much a part of it. And there is some information that has been given to me from a casino employee that knew of him before this happened. This wasn't someone who just went and looked something up. This was not someone who said, oh, you know, this guy's a shooter, I'm a casino employee, let me go uh, look up some information, let me go look up some numbers. No, it wasn't that. This was someone who knew him, who had met him prior to all of this occurring and told me about his casino gambling because there was something significant about it. And they knew him at these casinos. So I'm going to tell you guys most of what was told to me. I can't tell everything because the first thing I asked this person is, what can I say? Because I don't want to get anyone in trouble. And this is confidential information. And you may say, okay, well, who cares? This, you know, this guy's a mass murderer. Who cares about his confidentiality? The problem is casinos still care. Casinos don't want this information released. That's why it has not been released to the public. So someone giving this to me is taking a risk, and I can't just go say it all out here, or otherwise I could get them in trouble, and I'll make them sorry that they tried to give me anything in the first place. So the first thing I ask this person back is, what can I say and what can't I say? And fortunately... He basically gave me the green light to say most of it with 
a few exceptions. But even the things I can't say aren't that big of a deal. So what I'm going to tell you is most of the information I have, just I'm going to leave out some specifics. Like I'll say a casino instead of such and such casino. You know, I, I can't tell you the exact names of the places that I'm going to be discussing. Yeah, probably just things that would tie it back to the person you talked to or the casino in question, right? Yes. Not the actual details. Yes, yes. So, so I, but I, I have to only reveal what this person is allowing me to do. I never want to bite the informational hand that feeds me. If someone wants to give something to me or tell me something, I don't want to make them sorry they did. So I, I always treat that information with the utmost respect. So now keep in mind before I go into it, this is not going to explain why he did this. This is not going to be some earth-shattering revelation about this guy that will change everything. If it was, I would I would probably be over at the at the news right now and uh, revealing it to them myself. But uh, no, this this is actually something that's just more information. It's something that, uh, especially as our audience mostly understands the gambling world, the casino world. Even if you don't play video poker, you'll probably understand it pretty easily when I explain it. And I'm sure the audience of this show will find it interesting. And I, I believe it also mostly rules out one possible motive. So while we will not have a motive, we may never have a motive. It's possible the only person who knows the motive or has clues about the motive is dead, which is the shooter himself. And we'll find this out in the in the coming days and weeks. But right now, October 4th, 2017... I'm going to give you this information I have about his casino gambling. Because there there were reports that he was gambling uh, tens of thousands of dollars. And it, the, the second I heard that, I said, wait a minute, what does that mean? Does that mean he's just running tens of thousands of dollars through a machine? Because if that's true, that's that's not really gambling tens of thousands because it's impossible to lose that much. If, for example, if you run $50,000 through a typical video poker machine, it's just about impossible to lose more than 5000 Even if you have horrible luck, it's very rare you'll lose more than 5000 of that 50000 you run through. Why? Because these machines, unless you actually try to lose by playing horribly, even if you play not an expert strategy but, but just a basic, typical strategy that uh, the average video poker player would play, you're going to hit hands. You're going to hit jacks or better, you're going to hit two pair, you're going to hit straights, you're going to hit flushes, you know, it's going to happen. So you get paid back for every, you know, every so often when you run money through it. There's no way to run 50,000 and lose 50,000. There's no way to do it. Whereas, you know, if you do five bets at blackjack of $10,000 each, yes, you could lose all five and and lose all 50,000. So that's different. There you can bet 50000 and lose all 50000 Here you can't. So that was the first thing I thought of. Okay, they're saying he, he, run, you know, he made this much in bets. That doesn't really, really mean much. But, but maybe they really mean that he lost that much, or maybe they mean that he won that much. Then it came out that he filled out cash transaction, or I guess a currency transaction report, CTRs, for dealing with cash in or out for more than $10,000, and he did it on a few occasions in recent times, like last few weeks. So that's all they knew, that uh, they didn't really know about, about what he was playing. They just knew that he was filling out these forms. And for, for whatever reason, they didn't know if the money was coming in or going out. But they knew that he was uh, 
it was being exchanged in some way. Either he was winning it or losing it. Or at least cash was changing hands. So that was really all the media knew. Then his brother started saying, oh, he used to send me pictures of of a $20,000 jackpot, a $40,000 jackpot. Well, that's pretty meaningless. If there's a guy who plays video poker a whole lot, he's going to hit some jackpots. He's going to hit royal flushes. That's usually what the jackpots are, is hitting royal flush. So just because someone sends you several pictures of large hits of royal flushes when they play video poker, that doesn't mean they're winning. That just means these are some good moments they're having, just like winning a big poker hand does not mean you're a winning poker player. It just means you won one big hand. So the information that the media was giving about this guy's gambling habits was very, very incomplete. And at first I thought, still, I, I thought, okay, from some other things I read that he tried to b- flip a house, he bought a house for like 240000 and sold it for 235 at a small loss. I'm thinking, okay, this guy couldn't be wealthy if he's buying houses worth uh, 240000 to try to flip them for more money. Like, how much are you going to make there? People who are, are wealthy that do house flipping tend to do with, with expensive houses. They don't do it with uh, 200 something thousand dollar houses. Or they do it with complete shit houses and dump a whole lot of money into them. Yeah. So, I, I'm thinking this doesn't make sense. I'm going, this guy's probably just uh, someone who is gambling above his means and, and probably lost it all. But but I was wrong. That's not what was happening, from what I can tell. So, since then, it has come out in the media that he was probably at least fairly wealthy. It seemed like he owned or partially owned various properties around uh, Nevada and California and uh, I think maybe uh, some other state, too, that uh, he had $100,000 cash that he wired to the Philippines to his girlfriend about a week before the shooting. And it, it just, and his, his own brother was saying that he's rich, that he's a multimillionaire. His brother admitted, you know, hasn't known him very well recently, but I, from everything, I came to believe that the guy, for whatever reason, did accumulate uh, at least a few million dollars. But still, that didn't tell us about his gambling. And as I'm sure you guys all know, it is very easy to shoot off millions of dollars in the casino if you have a bad gambling habit. I've seen it happen to many, many poker players that I've known that have won millions and have lost it back to the casino, not even to other poker players. So just be, let, let's say you have uh, a net worth of $4 million. That, that doesn't make you immune to shooting it off in the casino. In fact, it can happen very quickly. And not even playing super high limits. So I still thought maybe this guy shot off his money. Well, I can tell you now that that's not true. He did not shoot his money off. In fact, Stephen Paddock was an advantage player. An advantage player is someone who plays games at the casino and actually has a mathematical edge to beat them. Now, he wasn't always an advantage player, so there were some games he would play where he did not have the edge. But typically, he stayed as close to even casino edge as he could, or exceeded it, and in many cases did so because uh, either he enjoyed it or because he was earning enough comps to where he felt it was justified anyway. So like that text I got about how he won a Mercedes at the win, that I don't have any verification that's true, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he played at the win and uh, earned some status there and won a Mercedes in, in a drawing. 
And that is what some advantage players do. They will actually run action on negative expectation games, expect to lose, usually will lose, but then will gain it back on the other end from comps or from free play or from contests or whatever. Uh, You're usually not going to get rich doing that, but uh, it's a way you can gamble and actually come out ahead or at least have the expectation of coming out ahead when it's all said and done. So Stephen Paddock was apparently one of these players. And he was also regarded as one of the best video poker players in the sense that he knew the correct strategy on each game and seemed to never make a mistake. See, when you run a whole lot of video poker hands, video poker hands happen very quickly. The average experienced video poker player will run like 500 hands per hour, sometimes more than that. But the the average experienced player will run about that. And that's a lot if you think about it. That's, That's more than eight hands per minute. So it's not like poker hands where each one will take more than a minute, sometimes more than two minutes on average. Video poker, you get hands out, uh, well, like every seven seconds or so. So if you watch video poker players in action, you'll see them almost like they're in a trance, just banging on it. Just, they're playing so fast, you sometimes even wonder how they're processing in their brain what's on the screen and what to do so quickly. That's how some people can even get as many as 1,000 hands an hour in. Now, when I play, I get about 500. If I really rushed, I could probably push it to about 700, but there's no reason to. I couldn't do 1,000, but there's some people who claim they can. But what was observed about Stephen Paddock, and again, this is somebody who actually knew him, wasn't friends with him or anything, but someone who knew him, who worked at a casino, was that he didn't make these mistakes. He didn't make mistakes in strategy or misclicks or anything like that. Because This happened to me before, where I just, for example, I'm dealt a pair of eights. And I want to hold the pair of eights. So I'm supposed to press the hold button below the pair of eights and then hit deal. Okay? But I'll do a misclick. I'll, I'll click one eight and then one of the other random cards accidentally instead of the second eight and then hit deal and go, ah, crap, I let that eight go. And then, you know, obviously that's a horrible play. Now, just doing that once in a while is not going to kill my, my expectation, but uh, it, it does happen sometimes to me just from playing over and over and over, once in a while you make a mistake like that. I've also occasionally made a strategy mistake where I just kind of zone out and do the wrong thing. But it was said that Stephen Paddock was not one of those people who made mistakes. He was one of these computer-like video poker players who almost never made a mistake and knew the strategy. Now, Now, video poker is different than regular poker. Regular poker, there's a lot of different strategies one can employ to be a winning player. And your strategy, you, you, would, you will adjust it based upon your opponents. In video poker, it's not like that. There's a very set strategy that have been, has been determined mathematically of what should be done optimally for each game. And when I say each game, I mean like jacks are better, or deuce is wild, whatever variant of video poker. So these have all been analyzed. You can find the expert strategy right there online at, at wizardofodds.com. I always use that site, wizardofoddsodds.com. So... Stephen Paddock apparently knew these strategies by heart, could play very fast, and made no mistakes. And the reason that's significant is that when they talk about the return of a video poker machine, that's based upon what's known as perfect play. So let's say you're playing at a video poker machine that they say returns 100.25%. Well, that sounds great. That sounds like you play it and 
you're going to win 0.25% over time. Yes, that's an average. Yes, there's variance. But, but if you stick at it long enough, you should win money, right? But maybe not, because if you make mistakes or if you don't play perfect strategy, then maybe that small edge goes away and you're actually playing a, a slightly negative game. So it's not as simple as it appears just from the return they claim. You can't just sit down at a video poker machine and expect that whatever return the machine's supposed to have is what you're going to average. Number one, a lot of variance. Number two, you probably are going to make mistakes or not play absolute perfect strategy. So if you do play perfect strategy, and if you never make these mistakes, then you really are playing at the theoretical return of the machine, and if the machine's theoretical return is over 100% and you stick at it long enough to smooth out the variance, then you'll probably beat the casino. And the casino is not in business to lose, as I'm sure you guys know. We're going to talk later in this show about a card counter who was ejected, as many card counters are, as I have been. Because that also gives you an edge against the casino in blackjack. So casinos do not like when video poker players can play so well that they can stick to the theoretical average and then they can beat the machines that are 100% return or more. Usually they will set these machines to be very low limit. So the really good players either won't bother with them or can't hurt them very much. So for example, there'll be five cents per credit. But in Reno, there were some that were higher limit than that. And Stephen Paddock loved to play in Reno. You may have seen in one of the news reports that he owned property in Reno. And in fact, that was one of the properties that was searched. So, he used to be a regular at various casinos in the Reno area. Why? Because those were the best games. There, there are better games in Reno um, as, far, as far as ones that are both above 100% return and you can play above uh, micro limits. So he preferred to play in Reno. And what he really liked to play were what were known as multi-line machines or multi-play machines. And that's simply a machine where you can play a whole lot of hands at once. Now, traditional video poker, when it was invented in the, in the 70s, it was just one hand. You're dealt one hand, you hold a few cards, you, you, you send back the other cards, you, get, you draw new cards, and whatever you make, you make, and you get paid. Someone came up later on with an innovation that allows you to be dealt multiple hands at once. So basically, you're dealt the same hand multiple times, And then whatever you do from there, whatever you draw, is different for all those different hands. So let's take a five-play machine. You're dealt five hands, which are identical. Five identical hands. So if you're dealt a royal, you get five royals. If you're dealt a four of a kind, you get five four of a kinds. If you're dealt a flush draw, then you have a flush draw on all five, and you have five shots at it. So then you hold what you want to hold, which is the same on all five hands. But then you draw, it'll draw differently for each of the five hands. And some players like this because it takes some of the variance away in, in one way, in that uh, drawing is not as frustrating when you miss. The more hands, the higher chance your draw will make on at least one of them. So I'm sure anyone who's played video poker has had the heartache of being dealt four to the royal and then just getting a complete brick fifth card that, that wins nothing. 
if you if you're playing a hundred play machine, then you're likely to hit at least one royal of those hundred plays you're you're doing because it's it's drawing at the same thing a hundred times. So he liked these multiplay machines. Now, as you might imagine, these multiplay machines really can eat up a lot of money quickly. Even a twenty-five cent per credit machine. See, everybody plays video poker five credits at a time. That's just uh, you, you have to do that if you want to get paid properly on the royal. So a twenty-five cent machine is a dollar twenty-five per hand. Now that sounds like nothing, but if you play one hundred twenty-five, if you play a hundred play machine, that becomes one hundred twenty-five dollars per hand because you're dealt it a hundred times. So the dollar twenty-five becomes one hundred twenty-five. So you have to have a bankroll to play these. And Stephen Paddock loved these 100-play machines. He loved any kind of multi-line video poker machine, provided that it had a high return. He mainly focused on the ones that had the 100% or more return, but also played them if they had close to 100% return, and he felt that he could make up the difference in comps. So the casinos knew him in Reno and were very frustrated by him. This is not what they wanted when they put in these high-return machines. They wanted the recreational player to go, oh, cool, 100% return machines, all right, cool, you know, no casino edge, and then go there, they don't play right, and they lose anyway. They didn't want some computer-like guy showing up and, and making all the right moves and having a deep bankroll to withstand any variance. And that brings me to my next point. When he would lose which is inevitable if you're going to play a lot of video poker, which he did. He played a ton of video poker. When he would lose, he was emotionless. I was told that he would just sit there and keep playing, didn't get frustrated, didn't look agitated, just kept on playing. Either because the money didn't bother him, or because he knew that eventually the variance would smooth out, or both. But he just didn't seem to care. He didn't show frustration when he would lose. There was at least one casino in Reno where he was an overall winner over an extremely high number of hands. Like anyone can win if you, you know, I, I actually know somebody, someone was texting me about uh, they're going to Vegas, uh, what, what, what video poker should they play? So I gave them advice, they didn't listen to my advice at all and played the, the games I told them not to and guess what, they won. So they told me how wrong I was. <laughs> so yeah, anyone can get lucky on, in one session, even if you're a complete fish, but over a large sample of hands, you're going to lose in video poker unless you're playing uh, 100% or more return machine or get super, super lucky. So over a very large number of hands, I know that at least in one casino in Reno, he was an overall winner. And I'm talking about a whole lot of hands, not just like a, a lot over a few days or a lot over a few weeks. I mean, over a long period of time, a ton of hands he played, he won. I have verification that uh, he won in one casino in Reno for sure and probably beat others as well. I know which casino it is, and I'm not going to name it because I've been asked not to. He played video poker all over town in Reno. Especially like the games with 100% return, they were multi-line. He wouldn't play the five cent or, or uh, single play 25 cent machines. You know, he'd play the uh, he'd play a 25 cent machine if it was multiplay, but it had to be something that was at least of reasonable limits. Not where he's going to win a few bucks. 
He actually caused a machine to get downgraded. Downgraded means they've lowered the pay table. For example, uh, if you're playing a Jax or Better machine and it pays nine credits for a full house and six credits for a flush, if the casino changes that to five credits for a flush instead of six, the machine is downgraded. That's the term. So one casino in Reno actually downgraded one of their 100% plus return machines because of Steven Paddock. They reduced their 100-play machine. He actually was playing a 100-play machine that was 100% or more return and was beating it. And the casino was very frustrated and actually downgraded the machine only because of him. And so there were some locals who were actually disappointed to see the machine was downgraded because they they liked that machine, but he was the only one who consistently beat it. Now, he wasn't making huge money. Don't get the idea he was making millions doing this. He wasn't. You're you're not going to make huge money grinding very small edges in video poker. You're just not. So he must have enjoyed playing video poker. But he had a deep bankroll. He didn't flinch when he would lose. He just kept on grinding. He seemed to like it for whatever reason. But he wasn't just a a gambler who liked gambling and, and didn't mind losing because he liked gambling so much. This was a gambler who meticulously stuck to games that either were positive expectation or close to it, where he felt he'd make it up in comps, and knew the correct strategy and didn't make mistakes. And that's how he spent a lot of his time. And apparently he didn't... uh, He was usually there alone. Usually he'd just be there alone and play, and was kind of in that trance that video poker players like to be in when they play a long session. Most people don't go to play video poker to be social. It's not like blackjack where you're with the whole table, you're cheering when the dealer busts. Video poker's not like that. Video poker's a, a solitary sort of endeavor. You go, you sit down, you're concentrating on the machine, you're playing fast, you're in your own little world. In fact, I've heard video poker players complain that they hate it when the cocktail waitress comes over and bothers them about a drink, or even worse, when a host or somebody else uh, taps them on the shoulder, hey, I'm your host, I want to introduce myself. They get so frustrated because they just want to be left alone, not talk to anyone, and play video poker. And this is true of most serious video poker players, not just psychos like this guy. So that, that was him. He was one of these guys who wanted to sit there quietly and play video poker for many, many hours at a time, Stuck to the good games. And they knew him well in Reno for knowing how to beat them. Now, he didn't only play 100% return machines. As I said, he played uh, ones with a a lesser return. He did earn seven stars at Caesars. I can tell you that Caesars properties do not have any 100% return machines. So he still earned seven stars despite that. I don't know if he won or lost at Caesars. And I'm talking, when I say Caesars, I mean their property. I don't know which one he played at. But he did have a Seven Stars uh, card there, according to media reports. And uh, presumably he had some kind of status at Mandalay Bay, which allowed him to get the rooms he wanted to commit this uh, heinous crime. But one other interesting thing I was told 
And that was that he had a bad week about a week before the shooting. That during that week, he lost more than they had ever observed him losing in a short period of time. He not only had a losing streak, but he lost a whole lot in a short time. Again, not so much that it would have busted him, not so much that it would have caused this, but it was his worst week that they had ever seen with him playing video poker. And my only guess is that his mind was on something else. His mind on what was, it was on what was coming up. So, that I, I don't know that for sure. I don't have any information about the strategy that he played when he lost all that money. It's possible that he just was playing poorly. It's possible he was just really unlucky. It was a coincidence. It's possible maybe he lost intentionally to, uh, for whatever reason. I, I don't know why he would have lost there. It would have made sense in like the Mandalay Bay why he would have lost, but I don't know why uh, a week before this happened that he would have lost what he did. But he had a terrible week about a week before the shooting in video poker. The worst, the worst one they'd ever seen him have. But again, this wasn't super high stakes. He was a grinder. He was a gr- kind of like a mid to high stakes grinder at video poker. Typically, each hand or series of hands together in a multiplayer machine, you know, somewhere between like $25 to $125 each time. So, yeah, that's some real money. You need a bankroll to do it. But it's, it's not something that's going to eat up millions if you're playing well like he is. But for whatever reason, he lost a lot of money in that one week. And people were surprised to see that. But I, I don't believe, and the person who was uh, discussing this with me does not believe that this is what caused what he did. In fact, this looks like it was planned for a long time. Now, there's a lot of talk about his residence in Mesquite, Nevada. Mes- Mesquite is about 80 miles northeast of Las Vegas, kind of near Arizona. Also kind of near St. George, Utah. Mesquite is nowhere near Reno. They're over 500 miles from one another. So he was not going from Mesquite to Reno to play. But as I said, he had a property in Reno and must have stayed there. Or maybe he stayed in the hotels. I don't know. But uh, he spent a lot of time playing in Reno. So what does all this mean? What does all this mean what I've just told you here? What this means is that an advantage player who is regarded as a really good player to where they actually downgraded a machine because of him is very unlikely to be someone who lost his fortune gambling and snapped because of that. In addition, it looked like he wasn't even bothered about losing when he did lose. So it looks like that, yes, he probably had enough money to where whatever he was playing there even the worst day possible wasn't enough to upset him. Looks like this was not financially motivated, what he did. And it, it seems that, that he was an advantage player. He was, he was probably one of the few gamblers, one of the few video poker players who is a lifetime winner. And if he's not a lifetime winner, he's probably pretty close to it. 
I don't believe he was making his money by playing video poker. I think it was something he enjoyed. And some people, myself included, actually do kind of get a rush out of beating the casino at their own game. It's fun. You know, it's fun to know you're going in there and that you win and that everybody else is losing. That you're actually beating the system. So I can't tell you that's why he enjoyed it, but that's, that's why most advantage players enjoy it, even ones that don't win a whole lot of money doing it. Uh, someone who you might be familiar with that does similar stuff to this is Alan Kessler. You probably see screenshots that Kessler will post of a video poker he's playing where he hits some jackpot or another. In fact, I think he posted one today. Alan Kessler searches out not just video poker, but also slot machines that are positive expectation and plays them. It's, it's, it's a boring thing to do. It's a pain in the ass to search for. It's not a fun way to spend your time, but Kessler seems to enjoy it. So he, he's a good example. I guess in, in, in the way they gambled, uh, Kessler and Stephen Paddock were similar, though I don't think Kessler's going to stay on the 32nd floor and uh, shoot people on the ground. I don't see that happening. But that, that's a good per- person to compare him to as far as his gambling was concerned. So I hope that gives people a better picture about Stephen Paddock's gambling and why gambling was probably not the reason that this all happened. It just happened to be something he liked to do. It may be an insight into his personality. The The money he lost in that final week might be an insight into what was going on in his mind. But I don't believe it was the cause. So that's the information that was given to me by a casino insider who doesn't want me naming specific properties but uh, or, or specific amounts of money. I do have some of those amounts, but I can't reveal what they are. But, but you know, he wanted to give me the picture. And now you know what just about nobody in the country knows. I even wonder how much the, the police or the feds know about that. All right, so he's probably not broke. Yeah. And he's probably not on tilt from his losings. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, think that... just sending that hundred grand to the Philippines too, yeah, a week or two ago probably gives the same indication. Well, yeah. So, so let's 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 talk about that. Uh, his he had a girlfriend, a, a Filipina girlfriend, and unlike a lot of older white men who have Filipina girlfriends, uh, he did not go for the young woman. Uh, a lot of times, I've seen a lot of. Filipina girls who were, you know, their 30s, even sometimes their 20s, that are with older white men for... Take uh, it easy, Druff. <laughs> for, for money or... Uh, well, your, your, your wife's not Filipina. So. Well, true. But uh, they're, they're with them for uh, reasons that are uh, either monetary or citizenship related. So this was not the case here. Uh, he actually met his girlfriend when she was working as a host at uh, one of these properties. I think it was one of the Reno properties. And that's how they got to know each other. That was also a piece of info I was given. Uh, the, the girlfriend's name is Mary Lou Danley. She was married. Danley was her married name. She was divorced two years ago. And I don't know when they met specifically, but uh, she was uh, 61 years old, maybe 62, and he's 64. So they're, they're close to the same age. 
this wasn't the typical uh, you know, old white guy wants the uh, young Asian girl thing. And she lived with him in Mesquite. She was not in the country when this occurred. She was actually in the Philippines. And despite that, the room, the room of the Mandalay Bay that Stephen Paddock used to bust two windows and shoot people at the country concert below, was actually in her name. And in fact, had been checked in with her ID. So some people wondered, how is that possible? How could a 64-year-old guy show up to the Mandalay Bay and say, yeah, I'm checking in here, my name is Mary Lou Danley, and then present the idea of a 4'11 Filipino woman, which is what she is. So I, she's know, really four foot eleven. She's really four foot eleven. So, so how how could he have uh, how could he have done this? How could the Mandalay Bay have checked him in as, as Mary Lou? Well, I don't have verification on this, but I can tell you how I think it happened because I've done it before myself. And that is, if you are a big enough player, and the casino host wants to do favors for you, they can pre-check in your room, even without that person whose name it's under showing their ID. So it would have been very simple for him to call up his host at Mandalay Bay and say, yeah, I want such and such room, such and such two rooms. Got two, he got two adjoining rooms to do this. So he wanted these specific rooms. He demanded these specific rooms for obvious reasons. And one of the things he probably asked for, for whatever reason, I think make it maybe harder to find him once this is going on, was to have this checked in in his girlfriend's name. I have a feeling that his host knew his girlfriend, knew that she was associated with him, knew that she had the same address as him. I know she had an M Life Platinum card, so that was uh, you know, she had a high enough status there to where the host probably knew her too, knew that they were together. So he just did a favor. He the, the host probably just said, "Okay, I'll, I'll pre-check it in as if she showed up and gave her ID, and then you can just show up and pick up your keys. You'll be the second. Uh, you'll be an authorized guest in there." And I've done that before, too. One time I got a second room for my dad. And he was going to be there first. Now, he couldn't check in because he had no status there. It was actually my room. And I was going to just allow him to stay in there. Which is fine, but I have to be there to check him in initially. But the problem was uh, he was going to get there ahead of me by a few hours. So I called up and I asked, hey, you know, I'm not going to be there on time can you just pre-check me in and then when my dad gets there, just let him show his ID and then give him a key. They said, okay. And they did it. So my room was checked in there before I ever set foot in Vegas. And my dad showed up and he, and he got the key. So had I never showed up to Vegas, it would have been fine. They never would have seen my ID. I would have never had to be there. Technically, you're not supposed to do that. Technically, they want the, the person who's getting comped to be there to check in but they will cut these corners they will do these favors for gamblers that they want to pacify so if he ran a lot of action there it probably was not a big deal for them to do this for him he may have even had her ID because she was in the Philippines and may have just brought her passport but I don't know the ID may not even have been involved but I'm pretty sure that the way this happened was that they just did a favor for him. And this is not uncommon. 
Again, I don't know why he checked in under her name. Maybe he thought that uh, once this was happening, if if they had an idea who was doing it or something, it would be harder to find him. I don't know why. I don't know why he used her info to check in, but that's that's what was done. But it really made authorities and, of course, everybody else observing this wonder, who is Mary Lou Danley, and what does she have to do with this? So they found her in the Philippines and were in contact with her, and she was willing to get on a plane and fly back to the U.S. and then come to Las Vegas and, and talk to them there. And she arrived on Tuesday. She arrived yesterday to Las Vegas. So she's she's here in the U.S. now. But they, they, they also found, before she even arrived, that she had been wired $100,000 by Stephen Paddock about a week before this occurred. And some people said, well, there we go. This is some kind of terrorist thing. You know, there, there, there are branches of ISIS in the Philippines. So maybe not only was he acting on behalf of ISIS, but he was also sending money to ISIS through his girlfriend who went there to receive it and then forwarded it on to ISIS. There were some people who thought that might be the case. I'll tell you why I did not believe, and I still don't believe that he was in ISIS or was radicalized, even though ISIS took credit for it, but they, they always take credit. But I'll tell you why I don't believe it. And that this would be highly unusual for someone who is 64 years old, who never had any kind of political or, or religious affiliation that anyone knew of, who was successful financially, to suddenly get radicalized at that point in their life. Usually the Americans who get radicalized in that way are ones who are young and directionless. Not people who are old, set in their ways, already financially secure. You you just don't decide at that age that you're going to sympathize with ISIS and commit commit a terrorist act. It it just doesn't happen at that age, especially if you've been successful. Because you've you've already the more successful you've been, especially if you've made it yourself, which it appears he did, uh, you're, you're pretty happy with the choices you've made at that point. You're not in search for someone else's ideology at that point. You may come up with your own twisted ideology, which it seems like he did in some way. I mean, there was a, something in his head made him want to do this awful thing, but he's not someone who's going to go online and, and, and be convinced by ISIS to, to kill people. It just it doesn't make any sense to me. Whereas if he were 23, year old, 23 years old and broke, you know, that would be a different story. So I don't know this for sure. None of us do, but I don't think so. So my thought of the, about this was, this is before I saw any statement that his girlfriend made, my thought about this was that his girlfriend had no idea about any of this and that he probably sent her to the Philippines just to be out of the way. He sent her, you know, surprised her with some ticket that he'll go back and see her family there. She was happy. And then while she was there, you know, sent her some money for, you know, whatever reason. Maybe grand's a lot of money to send to the Philippines. 
It, it is, but I, I assume that he was probably getting rid of it so the government doesn't take it and then redistribute it to the victims or the, the family That's of the victims. Probably true. So, I'm just saying, like, even in the U.S., like sending a hundred grand is a lot of money, but sending it to the Philippines that's a real lot of money. Yeah. So, I, I I thought that she probably didn't know, and this was mainly done to just number one get her out of the way, and number two put put his remaining money or or, or whatever he felt he could get over there. Uh, I still wonder, would she not think it's unusual? Well, so I'll read the statement of what she thought. She, she made she made she made a statement today, so I'll I'll read what she thought. So okay. so yeah, she. But yes, it, it is kind of unusual that uh, she would go there. He's yeah, here's a hundred grand. Okay, <laughs> but but that's that's what was done. And and I really thought he's just doing this because he knows after doing this that any assets he has will be seized and and used for uh, restitution to the victims and the victims' families. So if if he's if he's gonna kill people, he probably doesn't want those people's families getting money from him. He probably wants it to go places he'd prefer it goes, like a this woman or, or, or her family. So that, that's my guess. Now, here's a statement that she made today, which happens to be pretty much exactly what I suspected, or at least so she says. This is her statement. It's not necessarily the fact. This is what she said. I am devastated by the deaths and injuries that have occurred, and my prayers go out to the victim and their families and all of those who have been hurt by these awful events. I have faith in God and will continue to pray for everyone who's been harmed or hurt. I am a mother and a grandmother, and my heart breaks for all who have lost loved ones. I knew Stephen Paddock as a kind, caring, quiet man. I loved him and hoped for a quiet future together with him. He never said anything to me or took any action that I was aware of that I understood in any way to be a warning that something horrible like this was going to happen. A little more than two weeks ago, Stephen told me that he had found a cheap ticket for me to the Philippines and that he wanted me to take a trip home to see my family. Like all Filipinos abroad, I was excited to go home and see my family and friends. While there, he wired me money, which he said was for me to buy a house for me and my family. I was grateful, but honestly, I was worried that first the unexpected trip home and then the money was a way of breaking up with me. It never occurred to me in any way whatsoever that he was planning violence against anyone. So she thought this was kind of like, you know, here's some money, get out of my face, <laughs> sort of thing. Uh, almost like he's hoping she's going to stay there. Notice what she didn't say here was that she was guilty receiving this type of money because that's all he had. She didn't say that. So that, that again seems to imply that she knew he was rich. Just She just thought this was his way of just getting rid of her. I have not made a statement until now because I have been cooperating with the authorities and I voluntarily flew back to America because I know that the FBI and Las Vegas Police Department wanted to talk to me and I wanted to talk to them. I will cooperate fully with their investigation. Anything I can do to help ease suffering and help in any way, I will do. Please respect my privacy and my family's privacy. So, so that's her statement. And something else absent from the statement, which I find a little distasteful, is that she's not offering to return the hundred thousand and have it go towards uh, the victims' families? Like, like why not say, okay, we just got this hundred thousand, we're going to send it back and uh, put it to better use? But it doesn't sound like they're they're going to give that up. So, I, I think I do believe that she didn't know this was happening. I think I believe that he really did. But this, this, I was actually kind of guessing that's what this trip and this wire were about before she even said this. 
So, what do you, Cal? What do you believe her statement about that? I mean, I guess it's a somewhat reasonable explanation, but again, a hundred thousand dollars is a lot to wire. Like, I, she would have had to do some work on her end to set it up, wouldn't she? Unless he happened to already know her bank account numbers in the Philippines. Well, she could have. Well, where li- is he going to wire it to? You know what I mean. Well, they, they live together, and you know he could have wired it to her her father, or whatever. Not, I guess probably her father's dad, but you know some relative over there. And but do you, do you have your girlfriend's relative's bank account numbers handy, just in case you want to wire them money? No, no. But she was there to receive it, so she could ask this guy, "What's what's your bank account number?" Whatever this. Right, but that's what I'm saying is that she there there had to be some dialogue there where he's like, "Hey." You know, I want to send you a hundred thousand dollars. Go get uh, some bank account numbers for me. Well, I, yeah, I'm I mean, sure. it wasn't like it just showed up, and she's like, "Oh, what's this?" Well, yeah, yeah. I, I think probably there was something like that. She, he called up and said, "Hey, I, I want to send you a hundred thousand. I, I want to do this for you and your family. You know, what account did I send it to?" And she's like, oh, "Okay, yeah, thanks." But uh, then she, I'm just saying, she had to do some work to receive. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree with that part. Uh, but uh, so, Trader Risky, do you believe her story? Or do you think she's covering something up? Well. I think that, you know, when she said to the brother something like, my conscience is clear or something, did you hear that part? Yes, yes. I, I, I heard. I just thought that was a weird statement, you know? That, that is a weird statement. She, she did say that, uh, supposedly, that uh, she stated her conscience is clear because she had nothing to do with this, which is a really weird thing because if someone that you're with for that long, that you're that close to, commits an act like this, even if you had no knowledge of it and had nothing to do with it, wouldn't you have some guilt, like, maybe I could have seen a sign? Like, wouldn't you just feel at least a little bit bad that maybe you could have missed something? That's what I would think. Right, but, well, yeah, Absolutely. But I think, no, I think you would. And I think that, um, look, who's ever going to imagine he would do something like that? Now, what she could be referring to is he was getting a new gun each week. And she opened up this closet and there were 49 guns in it. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, she probably saw stuff like that. I don't think she knew, like, what the end result would be. <clears throat> I don't know if he did or when the decision was made. Because, I mean, I'm sure you guys heard about he was first looking at that other concert. Right, right. And uh, Chance the Rapper. Right. So, I was, I was going to bring that up. In fact, we could have lost uh, two Poker Fraud Alert members on that one. This was uh, this is the Life is Beautiful concert, which took place September 22nd through 24th. So, it was a week beforehand. And One Step was there. You guys know One Step, of course. And uh, we also have a guy who doesn't uh, listen to radio much but posts on the forum named Vegas1369. And they were both at this Life is Beautiful event. And he was actually looking to attack that event, supposedly, and not this country music concert, which which means that this was, if that's true, then... It looks like this attack was not about it being a country concert or the fans at a country concert, but just it happened to be the next big event like that where he could pull this off. So it looks like he didn't care who was there or what type of music it was or what type of people were there. It was just more about, I want to kill a mass number of people. So first he was going to go after this uh, Life is Beautiful event and try to get hotel rooms at a place called the Ogden that were facing the event. Very, very similar scheme. The problem was the rooms that he chose, the ones he thought he needed to fire on this event effectively, were booked. So whoever booked those rooms before him 
inadvertently saved a lot of lives of people at that concert. Of course, it also cost lives of people the next week, but I, I think the casualties would have been higher at this Life is Beautiful event uh, because of, uh, I think it was closer, I think there were more people, I think uh, it was more packed, I think there, it would have been even worse. So as bad as this was, that probably would have been even a worse situation. So, yeah, he tried to do this a week before, and it was it was thought that the reason... And he, it was thought the reason this didn't happen was because he could not get the desired rooms. He was pressing very hard to get those rooms. They kept saying, no, 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 it was booked. So it seems like he changed his plan to a week later. Now, he sent her to the Philippines and uh, and wired the money and all that. I think he wired the money about, uh, I think it was during or after this Life is Beautiful concert. So this all must have been a, a little while in advance. I don't know when he booked these rooms. But it probably was a little while in advance. I, I don't think he did it like right before. So there was some planning here, and, uh, and and I think that's why he bought the ticket for. Like I think the ticket he bought to send her away. What, does anybody know what day she left to the Philippines? I don't have that here. Or I think she yeah, went to I Tokyo I, first. I don't know offhand, but you're right. There had was, to be a decent amount of planning. Yeah, I mean, I think it was two weeks earlier, maybe three. But just if you think about the amount of time of premeditation, yeah, any of those days you could have said, "What the fuck am I doing?" Oh yeah, yeah. So it's then a- it's like, you know, it must be some <coughs> cause. And and you know, I first initially like, because I'm trying to think, it's why so would he do someone- this? You know, is it, you know, the country concert? Maybe he's a big Trump hater, and he sees that as Republicans. But then he was going to do it earlier at the other conference. There's probably not too many Republicans, so that throws that theory out. You know? Yeah. Yeah, but you're right, Trader Ruski, about the amount of premeditation. It's, you know, it takes the time to look up where these venues are going to be held to try and book a room there and then to be uh, planning to send his wife away and then planning and then buying the guns, you know, uh, piecemeal and bringing them in. You know, I mean, he, he was definitely, right. you know, dispassionately, apparently, thinking about doing this for quite some time. I mean, you wake up every morning, right? And it's like, oh, okay, oh, it's a new day. You know? Any of those days, he could have stopped it. Yeah, so by the way, I have the, I have the timeline here. Uh, yeah, she, you actually did leave earlier. She left earlier on uh, uh, on September 15th. So I guess he did send her away in time to do the first one. But, Drew, getting back to your original question, I mean, I, I do think it's credible that she could have not known about this. Um, we don't know how close they were. Um, and then also just, you know, the, the way that uh, you have kind of described this guy about how he kind of keeps to himself and it seems like he meticulously planned all this stuff. I, I certainly, I could, I could buy what she's saying. It could be reasonable. Yeah, I, I yeah, think I, mean, I believe it. And, no, I do too. I think my only thing is like when they showed a picture of the house they lived in, it didn't look that big. So unless he had like a storage unit or something, I mean, they found the stuff they found in his car. I think they found like 1600 rounds and other stuff. Well, apparently he had lots of properties, so, you know, well, right, so yeah, I, guess, yeah. I guess it could have been stored anywhere. Technically. Yeah. No, true. Yeah. I was thinking like a storage unit somewhere or something. 
I, I think they found that at the, at the Mesquite home, though. So that's yeah, and she and she oh, okay. I know she was living there. So yeah, definitely there. He had a lot of guns that she had to have known were there. She hasn't addressed that. Uh, now she can explain it, saying, "Look, he just liked guns, and that that didn't mean he." There's a lot of people who like guns that aren't going to kill anyone. So yeah, that's why we moved to Mesquite in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, so she, she could say that, but we we haven't really gotten an answer on that or what she saw. Or what she didn't see, or like, like, what his attitudes were, what what could possibly be a reason. Like we just, you know, oh, he was a quiet, nice guy. Well, okay, that that doesn't tell us much. She she saw a lot more. She claimed she was in love with him. I've even her sister was saying that she was in love with him. Uh, she was with him for some time. She, she had to have known more about him, even if she doesn't know exactly why he did this or had no knowledge it was going to happen. She has to have more knowledge about him in general than everybody else at this point, and. Yeah, that statement, the, the statement addresses why she was in the Philippines and why she received the money, and that her claim that she didn't know, all of which might be true, but it does leave out a lot of things, and it, it even leaves out the 100000 <laughs> Why are they keeping it? Because I, I would feel bad if, if someone, if I was sent this money by someone I was with, uh, and then they went and did this, and, and I got the idea this money was probably sent to me because they didn't want it uh, taken afterwards uh, to be given to the victims. That this is a way to dump the money first. I would say, well, here, take it back. I, I don't want this money anymore. So that's, that's clear. He sent the money in some way in preparation, even with the most innocent explanation on her part, that she didn't know that he just said he's sending it and, and, and she accepted it. He, sent, he definitely sent it with the preparation for what he was doing here. So it, it definitely looks like he was dumping off his money, knowing he was going to be dead very soon after doing this. So I, I want to talk a bit about the Mandalay Bay and whether they should be liable or held responsible or whether you should blame them at all for what happened. Because uh, he got this room on the 32nd floor. It was still 1,500 feet away from what he was firing on, but those weapons were so powerful and he was so high up that it was, uh, it was still effective, unfortunately. And, and this wasn't lucky. I mean, he, he was, this is someone who, who did a lot of preparation, who did a lot of research. He knew exactly what rooms to, to ask for. Uh, he obviously was an, was an expert on guns. So, uh, But the question is, should the Mandalay Bay have any responsibility here? Number one, for the... the name at check-in, though it probably didn't matter, but they did let him check in under a phony name. And uh, also, should they have known that he was taking so many weapons out there? How does he get that many weapons? I think he had 18 weapons, 17 weapons, something like that, up in the room. Just take a bunch of trips. I honestly don't think that's that hard to do. Right, right. So that's what I was saying. There was, <laughs> there, there was a lot of question about this, but keep in mind, he got the room on Thursday and committed this act on Sunday night. So that gave him a lot of time to go back and forth. And believe me, in a very large hotel like Mandalay Bay, they are no not watching. No one's watching who's going back and forth or bringing and luggage up. All the shift changes. You know, it's not even going to be the same people observing him necessarily. Yeah. So if you do this every four hours or so, you can get it all up there very easily in four days. And no one will ever see anything or suspect it. Now, even if you were to do this all at once, even if you were to make like, you know, Ten trips back and forth, carrying two suitcases up t- each time over and over and over again. 
Is it possible someone will notice? Yes, but it's possible also it won't be because they're really just not watching the hotel very closely. The security in these casinos is focused on the casino itself for obvious reasons. They don't they don't really worry about what people are doing with their coming and going within the hotel. The the main thing they're worried about in the hotel is just at night that uh, undesirables don't get up there. I mean like uh, like prostitutes, like uh, like people who might be up there to commit crimes. I'm talking about they non- don't seem to care a whole lot about prostitutes getting up there. Well, you do you do see these hotels. I don't know if Mandalay Bay does it, where they stand by the elevator making sure a room key, which isn't that hard to circumvent if you can get a room key somehow. But uh, but but uh, at least they make some effort to stop just anyone from going up to yeah, some yeah, of these yeah, hotels. But not if they're with someone who's got a room. Key. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm just saying that they they seem to not like just that randoms can just go up there and mill about the hallways. But sure. but that seems to be all they care about, and that even with that, they only care about it at night. So beyond that, they don't really care. Once you're an actual guest there, they don't really care what you're doing there, going back and forth. And something people don't know, these hotels don't have cameras in the hallways. And yeah, I ne- but I don't even think it's the hallway, Druff. I mean, because he, cause it's really about uh, – because I do think security, they definitely watch the games, but they're keeping an eye on the lobby too. But some guy that looks like him walking with a suitcase isn't, you know. Yeah, it's, it's not really cause any attention. Right, it's not significant. Maybe if you saw the guy go ten times in a row, and you observe the same guy over and over ten times in, the, in a short period of time, yeah, you, you're going to ask why is this guy bringing suitcases up like ten times in a row in a short time? But he had four days to do it. So doing it over a period of time in four days, which I'm sure they're going to... Four days, lots of entrances, lots of elevators, yeah, sure. lots of shift changes, you know? Yeah, but, you know, but I do think, though, go, you know, like AI software that could continually check for people going up at different places, that, you know, if you just think of a way they could do something... Yeah, I was it. thinking about that. That, that does exist, like by the way. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, no, I'm sure it's just implementation. Right, I was thinking that. I was thinking, like, what could be done... That could be used to monitor, like with software. So it's not even humans having to catch it, but it's software that could monitor people bringing things over and over into the room. And I thought, you know what? There's got to be something that that could that could watch people, and it, it, would, it would have to be in the hallway or at the very least the elevator or something. But they could, you know, see the same face and then see if they're carrying something and see how many times they're doing it in a period of time. And if it seems like they're carrying a lot to the room, then um, than alert authorities. And I, I I still think, even if it would not have prevented this necessarily, I, I'm surprised that hotels don't have cameras in the hallways. I, I'm guessing it's because people want the privacy. Maybe if they do bring a prostitute up there, they don't want the themselves on camera doing it. That's probably the reason. But I I've always felt like anything that happens in the hallway, you're kind of a sitting duck. Because you know, if someone could do something in the hallway and get away with it. By the time you report it, there's not much. I mean, I guess they could. I guess in the elevator there might be cameras, but they can know to avoid that. They can keep their head down. Uh, it would be nice. I would like it if the cameras existed in the hallway. I wouldn't want them in the rooms, but but in the hallways, I, I can't see of a reason not to have them, other than they want to make people feel comfortable bringing hookers up to the room. Do you, do you guys have any idea why they don't have cameras in the hallways in these hotels? So the Iceman can have his uh, coin flipping game, right? <laughs> I, I would assume the same thing that you're talking about, Druff. Also, I mean, the expense of doing it, too, you know? But I don't know, I don't know beyond that. Yeah. Yeah, and I think they have them in the elevators, right? 
So, I mean, I guess you could say that's a way to see what's going on. You're right. I mean, with the, the way they try to sell, I mean, it's less so now. Uh, but, you know, Vegas is a way to, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas kind of thing. I think people probably wouldn't really love the idea that they're being observed all the time. Yeah, though the elevators all have cameras, so I'm surprised people are, like, okay with being seen with a prostitute in the elevator but not in the hallway. But maybe the hallway, like, they feel like the, the prostitute can be in the elevator with them and it won't be known that they're with them, but then in yes. the, if they go in their room, it's, then it's seen for sure. Okay, let's, let's it's take one a, thing to be in an elevator with someone. It's another thing to have to have it on video where the door opens and they go into the room with you. Right? Okay, we, we have a caller I think that's here. That's a different thing. We have a caller here. Right. You're on the air. Caller. Sysop. Uh, up, uh, yes. So they do have uh, cameras in the uh, hallways, man, because one time I was drunk and I ripped a lamp off the wall and they came and uh, woke, woke us up and kicked us out. So there's definitely cameras in the hallway. Really? Is I, I've I've heard they don't have them. I've heard things happen that they don't have it. In fact, when when Greg Raymer was was attacked in the hallway in 2004, they acknowledged they didn't have them on camera. They got them later on camera within the casino, and they had them. They had these guys on camera following him to the elevator, but they did not have them doing what they did. Well, in Detroit, they definitely got them in the hallways. Okay. And was the lamp like the one that's near the elevators and like at the elevator under the elevators before you turn down the hall? No, no, it was in the hallway. It was already down leading, the yeah, it was away from the elevator bank. Well, well maybe it just varies from location to location and casino yeah, to casino. Say. You know. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought I'd throw that in. Okay. Well, thanks. but you think though, if it is something like the Bellagio. And they're like filming all these married men going into room with prostitutes. People could just take stills of that and blackmail these guys all day long. Yeah, I, mean, I guess that's be be a concern too. So, all right, well, well, Sishop, uh, thanks for that uh, little tip there. Okay. I think so, he bailed. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, let's let's see what else we have as far as this topic. Uh, more to talk about here for sure. The possible motives that uh, he could have had, I, I don't know. As I, said, I don't believe the ISIS thing. I don't believe someone in that place in life with that kind of uh, financial situation, uh, with that age, I, I just don't see someone like that suddenly getting radical, radicalized to, to ISIS. But uh, you never know with certainty, but I think that's an unlikely scenario. Uh, and just building those guns and stuff. I mean, he was an ex-IRS agent and accountant, right? Yeah, but but he I mean, he obviously picked modified the weapons, and you know he must. I don't know. Well, he had an interest in guns for sure. It looked like he was accumulating these for a long time, and it's very possible that when he was first accumulating these guns, it was not for the purpose of committing a crime like this. He may have just really liked guns, and then at some point decided he wanted to do this. It's even possible in the last few weeks he came up with this idea, or the last month or so. But the, the guns look like he got over a period of time, and he became an expert with them. It, was, it, was, it seemed to be some, at least some hobby of his, like maybe similar in a way to the video poker being a, ho- a hobby. Uh, but as, as far as the motives, like why would he want to do this? And you know, like, I, like you mentioned, when the country 
concert was the choice for the crowd to shoot. I thought, oh, okay, it's probably a left-wing terrorist. I thought of the guy who showed up in uh, Virginia okay. and was, was oh, asking yeah, to that congressional baseball game. It was asking, okay, are you guys Republicans or Democrats? And when he said, when he heard Republicans, he started firing on them. So I thought it would be, it was some guy like that, and just like this, an older white guy uh, who liked guns. So I, I thought that it was a similar situation, but it w- it was not. So. Since he was going to target a completely different concert with a completely different crowd, uh, obviously it wasn't about that. So it doesn't seem to be about it being a country music concert. It doesn't seem to be about the people who were at the country music concert. His brother claimed that he didn't seem to be political or religious at all. He, as I said, I doubt that it had to do with ISIS. So this really could just be, and it doesn't look like it was from losing money gambling, so this really could just be some weird thing that went off in his head that he wanted to do this, that he just, for some reason, felt that this was something that he wanted to do, just an urge he had to do it and decided to actually go through it. it doesn't even seem like an urge. Like, he, he methodically planned it out and and executed it over time like you know what i mean it doesn't seem like an urge it seems well very I, meticulously planned i mean like a long-term urge like like oh I, that, what if i could do this what if i could do this like just like something that kept popping into his head that he kind of want to do and then at some point it transitioned to well let's actually do it and let's actually plan it and, and then actually do it and, and this this amazes me Druff. like how can a guy live that long and and no one is aware of any mental health or anger issues or, or something. Yeah, that's you know what I mean. That's something. I know. That's what's weird is that he he didn't have a criminal record of any kind. It it just seemed like he was very under the radar. He was just a, a person who really did keep to himself. And didn't cause any trouble in his sixty four years on this earth. And then at some point decides to do something like this, which which is crazy. And that's that's just, but. And now he was on some medications, and, and there's some thought that maybe there was something already wrong with him that the medications amplified, that they took away some inhibitions. Maybe he, you know, th- there are people out there who have thought about doing things like this, who have thought about, oh, maybe I should, or maybe I'd enjoy this, but then don't ever go through with it. It's just kind of a. Uh, a passing thought or even a recurring thought, but something they wouldn't actually do. So there is some thought that maybe he already had these type of thoughts, but the medication kind of pushed over the edge and amplified it to where it gave him enough drive and, and lack of uh, moral compass here to prevent himself from uh, from actually going through with it. And uh, you, you there, there's a certain kind of uh, coldness you have to have, and lack of empathy, and just and and just downright evilness to have inside you to be willing to go through with this, because there, especially if it's for no reason that you think you're accomplishing anything. It's uh, now not to defend terrorists or, or ones who, who who commit murder for the purpose of. Uh, advancing an agenda which you know which all those are forms of terrorism but you can say okay this twisted person believed what they're doing is going to help the world in some way 
even if they have to victimize innocent people. But it's another thing to have somebody who just is going to indiscriminately kill without believing, even wrongly believing, that it's going to eventually result in some kind of greater good or avenge some kind of uh, some kind of wrong that was done to him. If it's just someone who's killing for the sake of killing, which may really have been this situation. And it's sad that we may never know because he did keep to himself. If he really was a loner that, uh, you know, he had this girlfriend, but if other than that, you know, he didn't communicate to anyone or write anywhere why he did this or leave any clues behind. And keep in mind, this wasn't him just snapping. This had a lot of planning, which means he probably knew that this was a one-way trip to Mandalay Bay. So it means whatever he left behind, he knew he was leaving behind. So we'd like to think he left a computer full of information that they'll uncover why he did this, but he may not have. He may have just uh, left nothing on it. He may have thrown away any computers that would have had any information. He may have been careful not to leave anything behind that would allow them to find it unless he wanted them to find it. It's also possible maybe he didn't care. Maybe maybe he just wanted to do it and doesn't care if they find out afterwards why he did it. But if he did care, he knew he wasn't coming back. And that's... Uh, Let me ask you a question. Druff and Traderuski, can we agree that whatever this guy's motivations turn, end up being... You know, I, I think it's unlikely that it's going to be uh, terrorism-related either, Druff. But uh, whatever his motives end up uh, coming out to be, or you know, maybe we never know. Can we agree that this their mental health issues are involved here? Like, no matter what. Oh yeah, yeah, the, for sure. The reason is yeah, you can't right? you can't do something like this without some kind of uh, mental health issue in some way. I, it just uh, there, there's a certain amount of empathy that each human being has some people have more than others but to to just be able to go out and kill like this to kill randoms like this at a country music concert to fire on on them to to bring this high-powered weaponry to just fire on a crowd like that you 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 can't be right in the head there's no way and and i and i think even you know some people that are drawn to um terrorist causes very likely may be mentally ill too in one degree or another you know Uh, for for that type of thing to appeal to them yeah and many times the terrorists are convinced that they that they're doing something that that's uh that's righteous that that's going to help them fight uh the other side which is supposed to be evil that that by doing this even if they're 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 doing bad things it's it's for a greater good and they they're convinced of that or they convince themselves of it and yeah, I mean, they were born into it. They don't have a different reality, you know. Well, some some right. do. Like, like there's there's some this guy. No, 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 some for sure. But I'm just saying the majority. I'd say probably the majority, right? But yeah. but this guy was playing, you know, video poker at the Bellagio a month ago. As you know, lives in Vegas, and what could? Yeah, so I'm hundred percent with Kawad. He's mentally ill. Yeah, and maybe it was specifically to hit fifty nine and be the biggest mass murderer in the U.S. 
Yeah, well, yeah, I, I, it's hard for him from that distance to be able to figure out who, how many he's going to kill, but he probably figured with, you know, with what he had set up there that he probably was going to, to break some kind of record. And, and it, it, again, it really could have been, I just want to be famous. I, I want to be known as, as the one who, uh, who committed the, the worst mass shooting in U.S. history. Maybe, maybe he thought he was going to kill hundreds. Yeah, no, I'm sure. I mean, I think Cal was right. You can't, it's just, it's mental illness. You can't explain it. I don't think there's any reasonable... I mean, it'll be interesting to see what he has on the computer if he left anything, but it's just like... Well, and that's just it, Trader Whiskey. He doesn't seem like, you know, um, like Druff said, for a cause, or he doesn't seem like a narcissist who did this for, you know, some kind of uh, glorification, because he, he didn't leave anything that those people normally do, you know? Yeah, it was. Yep. It, it, that's what's so, so that we know that we know of anyway. That's what's so strange about this one. It, it's just so strange here. Of, of you know, we've seen other, if he just wanted to commit suicide and go out by death by cop or whatever, you know, like like take out OJ and get shot or something. Yeah, and it, it's just of, of all these mass killings we've seen. The ones that are by terrorists and ones that weren't. This this was is just the strangest one to me. This is the one that's hardest to figure out. So anyway, uh, well, let me ask you. You know, something that I've seen circulating around a lot, um, for better or for worse, is a lot of people are saying uh, things like, you know, lone wolf is the the code for any time uh, a white guy commits mass murder like this or or a terrorist act like this. Um, what are you, what are your thoughts on that? If if this guy if this guy had ended up being, uh, you know, let's say Middle Eastern origin, but grew up in the U.S., would he be called the lone wolf, even if they didn't find any ties? To well, the it, it, here's the problem: is that because Middle Eastern people are so often the ones uh, responsible for terrorist acts, especially recently. Uh, it's when you hear one is involved, then you have to think, okay, this is a, an ideological killing. This is this is being done to punish the West. This is being done uh, for uh, for religious fanaticism. That's a, so. Even if if it happens to be a Middle Eastern guy who who did it for a reason had nothing to do with religion or the fact that he was Middle Eastern, it was just it was just a random killing. The problem is everyone's mind is going to go there for a reason because that's almost always what it is when a Middle Eastern guy is involved. It's I don't remember the last time that a Middle Eastern guy committed an act of terrorism or a mass killing of Americans, and, and it turned out that uh, no, it was just a it was just happened to be a Middle Eastern guy who did it. Even even the Orlando shooter who had that background in, in that gay club he, that he shot up. Uh, at first, it was said, okay, that, that was a case of it, of a, of a Middle Eastern guy who committed mass murder that it probably wasn't terrorism, but then but then th- they cut some things out of the 911 call that did indicate he was talking about Allah and stuff like that, so that was, uh, they never got a complete picture of why this guy did it, but but at least that was a little part of it. At least the, it, it wasn't absent. You don't, you don't, if you're doing this not for religious purposes, you don't, you don't mention anything about Allah when you're doing it. So. Well, but that was just supposed to be him covering up that he was gay at that well, yeah, but there was there was a uh, maybe, or it, it, it could have been both. It could have been both that uh, that he was doing yeah, that, and, I don't know, I 
and, and that and that he was uh, you know, hated himself for being gay and hated gay the people. Family and knew he was going down anyway. Yeah. So, do you consider this to be terrorism, Drew? No, because terrorism is something that is defined as an, an act of violence that's committed to either intimidate or scare a population, you know, in order to uh, advance a political agenda or punish them for some kind of a, a political or religious agenda. It's, this was not, something that's just done randomly for the sake of killing. It's just a mass murder. It's not terrorism. And, and, and certainly is certainly created a whole lot of terror. It did, but it's, well, like it's a terroristic act. Yeah, this this was not. This, I, I don't know. This was just a no, mass. I know, I know what you're saying. It is typically associated with um, a political or ideological motive. Yes, and if there and if there is one in this case, we don't know what it is. Yeah, so that's why you can't call it terrorism yet. And it's, not, it's not about the color of his skin. It's that anybody who who commits just well, a. You just said though that if he was Middle Eastern, I mean that statement probably would have been made already. Well, it probably, right? but, but that's because of Middle Easterns before him. That's that's why it's it's a. Well, but it would be because of the color of their skin. Right. It, it would be at the moment, but it would be it would be there'd be a good reason behind it. It would be a good reason to assume because when you see something happening over yeah, and over and over went again, to the mosque every Sunday, there'd be stuff like that. Yeah, even well, if he was white. So, so if 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 you see something that happens over and over, if a pattern happens over and over again, and then you see something that happens that appears to follow that pattern, of course your mind's going to go there, even if it turns out to be wrong later. So that's that's. Yeah, I will what, tell you something, Druff, that you know even and. And I, I tend to agree with you that this – I would not – I would consider this an act that caused terror, but I wouldn't consider it a terroristic act. Um, but I, I I am somewhat concerned about what you said earlier, and I agree with it that you know there are some groups that are going to be looking at what happened, and they're going to be like, wow, it's that easy. Yeah, and, and the problem is it's, it's hard to prevent. It's, it's not like the thing on 9-11, which was also a, a new tactic of let's, uh, let's bring fake bombs on an airline or you know, get control of the cockpit and then uh, you know, pretend that we just want demands met and then reality where, where the whole point is to crash the jets into, into targets. The, that can't happen again because no one's going to fall for it again. Right. Aside from the locks on the cockpits now, no, nobody is going to say, oh, okay, you have a bomb, go ahead and, and, and take the cockpit. They, they know what's going to happen at this point. So th- that's something that can only work once. This can work forever because uh, it, if you can get to a tall building, you can get your weapons to a tall building, and uh, there's a crowd below, yep. that's all you need. Every public event would have to be treated like a military target. If they if they ha- wanted to have any hope of protecting it, and that's impossible. Yeah, well, look at it's look, literally impossible. Look at Times Square in New York this upcoming New Year's. Yeah. Look at all the tall buildings around there and ho- tall hotels. What what are they going to do? Now, so, despite the fact that you know, and we don't know whether there will end up being any kind of uh, you know ideological or political reason behind this, it doesn't seem like there is, but. Uh, we don't know if one will surface or not, but I, I I do think that in some senses it is going to create terror in that you know people are not going to want to go to places like this at least for a while. Yes, I, I I agree too. I agree that people are going to be on edge about being anywhere out in public, especially if it's surrounded by tall buildings. And this is not going to be a case where. You know, people can band together and be brave and say we don't want to let the terrorists win and the you know the kind of things that were done in France after the the nightclub attacks there. 
this is going to be something that's more, you know, kind of monsters on the bed, under the bed kind of thing, where you just don't know where this, you know, where this person could be coming from again. Yeah, and it's a very th- hard thing to stop. It's just a very hard thing to stop, and that's that's that might be the worst part of this, and we'll have to see in the future if, if we see other incidents like this, but that this hadn't been done. We, we hadn't seen this happening before as as a way to kill people of, of uh, sneak guns up to the, the uh, tall building like a hotel break the window and shoot down on a crowd that uh, uh, I, I hadn't we se- have to accept that you cannot prevent this stuff yeah and that's that's you know? that's the problem and, and that's what's so then, uh, then the next question that I'm sure we're gonna get into and lots of people are discussing now you know one way that uh, some people are saying you can prevent this is limit people's access to guns yeah so that it's a very complicated question, and some people like to treat it as as a simple question. Some, some people like to think, okay, well, just make these illegal, and this this can't happen, or it's very unlikely to happen if if you if you just make these illegal. The problem is that there are ways around this that people can modify their own guns. They can build their own guns. They they. This guy did modify the guns he had to make them fire faster. Yeah, with an off-the-shelf mod, though. Yeah, but but people people. <laughs> it was a ninety-dollar uh, attachment, a bump, whatever that he added to. It. I mean, yeah, you know. But but the thing is, it, it, people who are dedicated enough can do it, and uh, so so that does it, it doesn't prevent it. It uh, it may make it a little tougher. And it may take. Well, it's not going to be easy for someone to just make their own gun. No, they can't make. They could modify one that exists that uh, to make it. Uh, not if not if guns are illegal. Well, there's already plenty of them out there. First of all, and, and second, it depends about what gun. So, so that's the first part: is what kind of gun control are we talking about here? If we're talking about full gun control, I can tell you that would be a disaster. Full gun control, where nobody can buy a gun of any kind, even a handgun would be a disaster because there are so many guns already in the U.S. There's no way to make them all disappear. And if, if we come up with some kind of turn-in program where, where citizens are supposed to turn in their guns, you'll have the law-abiding citizens have no guns, and the ones who do not want to file, follow the law, the criminals, who will have guns. And when, when a criminal... Let, let's say someone wants to break into your house. Do they know when they break in, if they're going to perhaps run into a gun on the other end. They don't. They might, they might not. Some people have guns, some people don't. Yeah, if they're hopped up on meth, they don't give a fuck. If they're hopped way. up on meth, they probably don't care. But but uh, but, yeah. but but the typical person breaking in, they're, they're going to, that's something they have to consider. They may take the risk, but it's something they have to consider. And what's the safer way? Well, they just look for a house where nobody appears to be home and break in, then there's no one there to shoot them. So that that's why you don't you don't have that many home invasion robberies in the U.S. where they actually come into a house where people are at the moment. Typically, the you get burglaries where they're, they're just looking for signs that people are not there and then break in and steal. Some of that reason, you know, some of it is just so they don't get caught. Some of the other reason is there's much less danger for them. There's not someone waiting with a gun to shoot them breaking into their home. If a criminal has a gun and knows that law-abiding citizens have turned in their guns then that makes them much more confident to break into homes, to hold up businesses. A lot of things that people decide not to, criminals decide not to do or to do in a, in a less dangerous way because they're afraid of 
being on the receiving end of a gun used in self-defense, that will go away. And that will actually make it to where people who don't have guns are less safe. I mean, I'm talking about ones who don't have guns right now. They are actually helped by those who do have guns because the, the guy casing your neighborhood to see which house to break in, he doesn't know if you have a gun or not. So the fact that you could have one can scare him. So the fact that each citizen can have a gun, the fact that each business can have guns there to defend themselves, that can deter criminals from home invasion, robberies, or or holdups at businesses. I'm not saying these don't happen, but I believe if uh, you take guns away completely from citizens that this is something that will happen more often, that victims will really be sitting ducks. And that there's so many guns in this country. This is a different country. It's a different culture. You can't just say, oh, this worked in Europe. This worked in Australia. It's a different culture. There's been guns and violence in this country going back to the very beginning. And you can't just say, okay, we're removing all the guns now. If, if, you're, if you want to follow the law, turn in your guns. So it's obvious who's going to have the guns at that point. And it's obvious that they will have much more confidence at that point. So I, I think a complete gun control like a, a gun turn-in program where nobody's supposed to have guns would be a disaster. But yeah, but I don't even think anybody's talking about that, really. Well, they, they are. The, the problem is they are because the, this is an excuse for those that hate guns and that want full gun control to now bring it up. But uh, so, so there are some, even ones that are not saying that's what they want, that's really what they want. And, and you have to be careful that uh, any gun control legislation that is enacted that you're not starting on the path to where you give them a finger, they're going to take the whole hand. But yes, as far as this is concerned, the main topic of discussion is allowing these automatic weapons. And there's also a discussion of semi-automatic weapons, which there's a lot of misunderstanding. buying at the gun shows and stuff like that, right? Yeah, well, well, there's because they're not tracking sales, and that's why this one whack job can get forty nine guns that he can modify to be automatic weapons. But I don't even I think, think he bought it at gun shows. I think I think he bought it at stores over time. I think that's what. Yeah, yeah he just well, bought well, it at a bunch did. of different stores over time. Right. Exactly. You know, and there's but, no I, no law against being a gun collector. Yeah. So that's and, and, and let me let me tell you something, Drew. So I I own several handguns. Um, I have a, a carry permit for it. But I got to tell you, like I, I really do think that some of the stuff that goes on this in this country with regards to guns is ridiculous. Like I, I have, I have been to flea markets in uh, some of the southern states, and you just fucking buy an AR-15. Yeah, well, I mean, it's right. ridiculous. So, so they talk it's about sem- they talk about semi-automatic weapons and, and the handguns. Uh, a lot of them mostly are semi-automatic weapons. That just means you don't have to do anything to reload after firing once. So you know, a handgun with with, with a fifteen bullet magazine, you just uh, um, you can fire it fifteen times in a row without doing anything further, and that's semi-automatic. That 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 shouldn't be banned. Otherwise, it would make them fairly useless because if you're trying to use in self-defense. You you miss the first shot, then you have you have to uh, reload it. That's uh... well, Jeff. Here here's the thing, though. I mean, I and I get what you're saying, and I agree with what you're saying that we have a ridiculous number of. Uh, of guns in this country, and they're definitely not going to disappear overnight. Right? I agree with that. That even if you passed a law that said, you know, 
all new uh, gun sales, except for very limited classes, are are now illegal. And uh, you know, you did a buyback program like they had in Australia, where people can turn in their guns for for cash, uh, whether they're legal or Ill- illegal, is how they did it. <laughs> they, they didn't care where they came from; they just gave people mon- uh, the money for the guns that they turned in. Even if you did all that, I agree with you that there are still going to be tons of guns in the country um, in terms of, you know, either illegally you know, owned by criminals or just some people just holding on to them because they don't want to give them up. Um, but we have to look at the fact that the situation that we're in right now is terrible. So just because we wouldn't necessarily get anywhere by attempting some kind of sanity in our gun laws, um, and or it would take some quite some time for it to happen, doesn't mean that we should necessarily keep the status quo, right? Well, so I, I think that you do have to look at it from a common sense standpoint and say, okay, at what point does it change from allowing people to have weapons to defend themselves to allow them to have high-powered weaponry to either uh, do a lot of damage or, uh, or just to collect out of paranoia that they think one day they're going to be at war with the government. I, I think we're past the point uh, from the days when the Constitution was written. We're, we're past the point where we ha- really have to worry about, about fighting our own government. That's, that's, that's a very unlikely scenario, and the truth is if that comes up, uh, just, you know, having some, some guns in your home, it's not going to really do any good. Right. So, I mean, there are, there are people that believe that, but I, I, I... – <laughs> I don't agree with that. I, you know, I, I'm with you on that. So, so, so. I, I, I'll tell you though, Druff. I mean, the the other thing is a lot of a lot of guns that people lawfully own, they they end up getting killed by or accidentally hurting people, and that's the big problem that I have. Is that I, I went through a ton of training uh, in order to get my carry permit, and I wanted to make sure that I knew what the fuck I was doing and was responsible with these things. There are a lot of people that just really don't know what the fuck they're doing. They don't secure their weapons. They don't do anything. And it's it's a huge danger. You know, that's where criminals get a whole lot of weapons. They break into someone's house and steal them. Yeah, well, I, unfortunately, all these things you know, can't fully be prevented. And, and, and the, the, the unfortunate matter is that in allowing people to have guns to defend themselves, then there are sometimes vulnerabilities that open up where, where you know, because it's not perfect, because, because there are idiots out there uh, that leave these guns unsecured to where they either get stolen or to where someone gets a hold of them in the house and, and does damage, whether it's a child or, uh, or, or a teenager or whatever, that, uh, or just people who are just not engaging in the proper safety protocols and, and accidentally shoot someone like themselves. Like the shooter, shooter in Newtown, the, the kid who went in and shot up the whole school? Yeah. And I and by the way, I went to the. <laughs> I grew up in a town right next to Newton. I know oh, really? Newtown. I know right where that is. Yeah. Um, and in fact, when I was back there, it was a joint high school between uh, my town and and uh, Newtown. But they since wow. you know, divided it past that. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in Reading, which is right next door. Mm. Um, but that that kid got the the guns from his family. Yeah, and you know? but the pro- the problem is it, it's impossible to prevent things like that. But you, you can tell everyone to lock them up, and you you, you can pass laws of, of the way the guns have to be stored, and I'm fine with all that. There will be people who just don't follow that, and there will be idiots who allow this to happen. And unfortunately, the only way to stop that is to completely have the guns not there, but then that creates a whole new problem that I just described. So there, there's no perfect solution here. There's going to be a solution – Whatever the solution is, there's some kind of problem, some kind of side effect that's not desirable. 
Does that mean we do nothing? Though? No, it doesn't mean we do nothing. Well, I, I, I think we... we... Let, let me ask a question real quick, Jeff. Sorry to cut you off. At what point of him collecting, buying guns, whatever, do you think he had these thoughts in his head? That's I, I've wondered about that. That's very hard to say because if he really just liked guns for the sake of owning them or just for whatever reason that was a hobby of his, it's it's hard to tell whether like he started collecting them a long time ago, thinking one day I'll do this, but just never really seriously went forward with it until now, or or if he just was doing it and then just one day was looking at all the guns, going, hmm, you know what, you know what I'd really like to do one day. Yeah, I think I am going to do this. Like maybe he just was looking at the guns in the closet one day and just said, "Wow, you know, what if I did this?" And and then when it did it, it could have been something like that. There's so many ways this could have gone down. I I don't know. It's it's very. And what do you think, Calwat? You know, is it the fi- you know? Because also you say collecting guns. I'm looking at people have a collection of different guns from different. Th- he just had kind of a lot of the same. I know, police, I know people that collect all sorts of shit, and I have friends of mine that collect guns too, right? Right. And you know, it's different the, kinds I, I, of guns because they wanted one from this era, this and that era. Yeah, there are usually have. lots of different kinds of guns, and you know, right. realistically, a lot of them are <laughs> things that they they probably would never never use. But it, it's impossible right. to to get in this guy's head and and know what's going on. But let, let, let me put yeah. a, a hypothetical to to both you and Druff. So, I mean, Druff, part of the uh, the argument that you're saying here is that, well, you know, we can't get rid of these guns. But let's let's talk about a hypothetical. Let's say that you realistically could. You snapped your fingers, and tomorrow there are no guns in this country outside of the police and military. None, right? Yeah. And then you're then you're you're starting at day one. And yes, criminals will be able to get guns from somewhere. You know, there will be things that slip through the cracks, et cetera, et cetera. But do you think it would be a safer country if somehow that happened? Yes, if, if you, they all did yes, yes, if you could reset everything and and start with with only the police and military have them, and, and it's very difficult, not impossible, but very difficult for criminals to get them. Then yes, there there I actually think it's uh, you get enough gain out of that overall to where whatever vulnerability that you now might have to when a criminal does have one, or to, or to the fear of oh what if the police or military misuse it, uh, that's worth it. That's worth a trade-off to me. But about but, you, Trader Ritsky? No, for sure. I mean, yeah, I agree with what Trev said. Um, and then, then, then the thought is that we, you know, start some sane discussion to get down that road. But, but you can't get there. Overnight. But I think, but going, that's like going from A to Z. And I think if I you agree. look at some of the things, like where I was going with the last question was, if they had done something after Sandy Hook or after Virginia Tech, like at what point did this, you know, because preventing all the people now to be able to see if somebody's buying 40 assault rifles, you know, I just could that have prevented it if it happened, you know, if something was in place. I think it's a, I think it's a multi-generational thing. I think it's yeah, the kind totally. of thing that is going to take a very, very long time for stuff like but that. But I don't know. But I, I, the problem is I don't know if they can ever get there with that many guns out there. And, and furthermore, e- even if you say it could in, in a few generations from now, I could get there. In that time, I think it would be awful. I wouldn't see. I wouldn't want to do it. If if, if they say this is the law, I, w- I just wouldn't want to follow it. I wouldn't. Want, I, I would well, feel right, like if I give it away, I'm a, I'm a sitting duck. Is what I'd feel. I would feel like. Yeah, no, I'm with you. 
And I and let's be that. honest, the guns are big business in the U.S. from a manufacturing point of view. I mean, we 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 make a shitload of guns, not just for domestic, but also uh, foreign export. So it is big business. There are big lobbies, uh, and there are big groups like the NRA. You know, like, so I yeah, agree with you. I think it would be very, to. very, very difficult uh, to do all this. But I but I also think that. Um, you know, if somehow magically the the gun supply did vanish, I think a lot of people would feel more comfortable and not not feel like they have to own a gun. Yeah. You know, well, I, I, yes, but the, there's no way themselves from a home invasion. You know? There's no way to do it. I I think that what has to come from this, at the very least, is they there has to be a reasonable discussion on both sides and figure out at what point does it become excessive of what firepower one person can have, why do they have it, and is their right to just collect them? Is, is this a right that, that they really need to have? Is it, uh, it, it the danger that this brings on that a certain small percentage of these collectors will do something like this, or, or that the guns will get into hands, the hands of someone who will do something like this? Uh, sh- should we take away that right from people while still allowing them to have some sort of sane uh, number of guns and amount of firepower to, to defend themselves to where they can't uh, have weapons that can accomplish something like this unless they build them themselves. And that's uh, that, that's a discussion that needs to take place. And if, if I were to hear yep. that when the discussion's over that they ban these type of weapons, and, and I've heard the, the gun fanatics, I've, I've heard some of them say... Uh, Oh, you don't, you know, you don't understand what's a semi-automatic, what's an automatic. It, it, it's not about that. There, there's certain guns that would be capable of doing something like this, and certain ones that would not. And I do have a hard time believing that the average person needs to own guns that can accomplish something like what happened on Sunday night. And that's well, I, I, I totally agree with you, Druff. And here's the thing: that here's a you know, a lot of people. Especially constitutionalists, uh, you know, look at it and say, well, you know, the Second Amendment. But here's the thing. So right now we're in 2017. And like you were saying, the the type of guns and the power and the killing that they can inflict now compared to 1776 is a fucking quite a bit different. And imagine if right now in 2017 you were going to pass a law to have it regulate uh, firearms that would exist in, in the year uh, 2258. You know? I mean, who knows what kind of fucking weaponry we're going to have then. It's just, uh, it's just not realistic, you know? Yeah. Well, so, so I, th- I think there needs to be discussion. There needs to be a, a reasonable solution to this. I, I do think that this shouldn't be the first step to full gun control. And that's, that's, that is what, I, that, what I'm afraid here. What I am afraid is, is that if there's cooperation with the left on this, saying, okay, we, we are going to change the laws, we're going to make it difficult or impossible to get weapons like these legally, and, and to where this can't happen again, to where someone who starts collecting weapons like this, they won't be able to do it anymore. Uh, I, I just don't want it seen like, okay, now we've gotten this far, now, now here's going to be the next step, and then here's the next step, here's the next step, and, and pretty soon we're at uh, full gun control. I don't want to see it get there. And, and if this is going to be the first step of getting there, then I, I don't want anything done. Then I, then we've got to stop and say, wait a minute. 
anything we do here shouldn't be a stepping stone. It should be something that is done in response to what has happened and that uh, in, in order to prevent things like this in the future or at least uh, to add an additional hurdle to make it more difficult. Yeah, at the very least, something to regulate mass killing. Yes. Devices. And I'd be fine with that. Whatever they end up being. Right. I'd be fine with that as as long as those on the side of the gun control that that would be compromised with would not be sensing weakness, thinking, okay, well, we've just accomplished this. Now it's time to the next step. Like, that's what I don't want to see. And that's what I, that's what the other side needs to understand. That there's the side that wants nothing changed and wants everything legal. And there's a side that wants the full gun control. There's those in the middle. But the, the side that wants a lot of gun control that's pretty much would be compromised with here to have certain kinds of weapons banned, they would need to understand if there is a compromise reach that this is not just the beginning of them getting their way. Because that's... But Jeff, I can, I can understand right, that you're worried that this is the start of a process. But as someone that... I mean, you've got a kid that's going to be growing up into this, this country. Are you worried about... Are you as worried about the status quo as you are that that potential, uh, you know, slippery slope? I I am more no. I'm not. See, the, still the chance of being killed in this sort of thing is so low for the average person that this really isn't a major danger to the average citizen. It's it's terrible when it happens or when it happens to someone you know. But it, it's the mass st- killings or just a killing by gun. Well, it's interesting you bring that up too because. A lot of the killings by guns that occur in this country, if you don't live a certain lifestyle and stay away from a certain element, which you can voluntarily do, even if you live in a, in a, in a rough neighborhood, uh, your chance of being the victim of gun violence is, goes way down. So some, so a lot of the victims of gun violence, not to say they deserve it, but they're, they're living a lifestyle and engaging in behaviors that make it much more likely they are to where uh, like i'm not I, I don't walk around worried that i'm going to be a victim of gun violence I, I really don't uh could i be yes but but i don't walk around believing that that's uh a likely way i'm going to die i i so i i think that so i'm not worried for the future in that that i think uh, my son's going to grow up in a world where there's a high chance he's going to be shot or that's a, that's something that really, he's really going to worry about a lot I, no, I, not necessarily a high chance, just the status quo. I, I, th- I mean, are you are you comfortable with that status quo existing? I, I think that there, there need to be some changes, but I, I also think that I don't want them to go too far because then it creates a problem the other way, and that's a, yeah. that's an equal, that, that's also a concern of mine. And I I'll think that you, even for hunting, some of these guns are ridiculous. Like you, you do not need some of these guns to take out fucking Bambi. Like you just don't. Yeah, <laughs> I just it's amazing. It's the shit you can buy anyway. is amazing. I just worry. I, I watch the way politics happen in this country, and unfortunately, uh, once you concede something, then it it starts to unravel, and it, it goes more and more that direction. And you know, sometimes it's positive. Sometimes sometimes the changes are positive. Like look look at what's happened in the last ten years, ten to fifteen years, with the acceptance of gay people. It's so much higher today, the acceptance than it used to be. But it started, you know, it started with things that that were very small, and then it grew, and then it grew. And the truth is, had they started 15 years ago, let's let gay people marry, then everyone would have freaked out and said no, except except for a small percent. Frankly, you know, part of that is just generational, and part of that is you got to let people die off. 
Yeah. So, so, you know? but what really I'm saying is. here is that that um, so so I'm fine with the fact that that change occurred. But what I'm saying is that that was that was a case where there was one side who believed one way, one side who believed the other. Then there started to be a little compromise, and then eventually the it very much steamrolled the other way on one side of the thing. And and you could say, well, that was you know that was a case of some human rights. And it's a different matter. But yeah, but Jeff, how can you uh, you can't compare? Them. I, I'm just comparing. I'm saying about politics in general. I'm not talking about. Uh, this is the same thing. I just it's anything that uh, when you start to make compromise politically with the other side, when there's two sides that are completely opposed, completely on the opposite sides, and then one starts to compromise with the other to where one side seems to be moving a little bit more as far as what they're willing to give. Uh, that unfortunately can empower the other side, and and it can steamroll the first side. And in this case, I, I don't want to see. I, I'm fine with them meeting in the middle. I, I don't want to see the left steamrolling the right with with the gun control matter because I I, I don't. Right, but that's what it's all about. But look, it's all about getting to the middle, though, right? Well, I hope so. That, that's if something's way over to the left or the right. That that's what I want to see understood. That's that, that's why that, that's the one concern I have about anything changing is that uh, it, it'll start a process that I don't want to see. But if it's well, if it's more of if it's more of a, an immediate fix to fix something. And get it to a more reasonable place, and then, then just reset it from there. And anything anything further that needs to be discussed at that point will be evaluated on its own merits. That that I'm fine with. I just I just don't want to see that this is the first step in a process to towards uh, full gun control in the U.S. And, well, what uh, if, what if what if someone were and no one is going to be happy with this? But what if someone were to draw up guidelines to say, okay, this is the line. Where beyond this line, you just do not need this this amount of firepower to a defend yourself or b hunt. Then I'd be fine with that. That's fine. Yeah, I mean because that that's that, that's kind of what I think is reasonable. Yeah, I think that's reasonable you know? too. And if as long as long, again as long as it's gotten there in a way that it's uh, that this is it and we're stopping here and and, and we're not doing anything further unless there's a reason to then 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 I'm fine with that. If it, if it's uh, this is the process, but now we're going to keep fighting. Like, okay, we're 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 accepting this here, but we're going to keep pushing for more gun control after this. Then the answer should be F you when you're willing to really compromise, and we'll do it. And and again, I I don't have any problem with responsible gun owners because I I know what I went through, and you know some of the the education courses that we're taught. I mean, they, they told us the price of each bullet that we had, and it's like ten thousand dollars a bullet. You know, just on average in terms of the lawsuits and all the other bullshit that you got to deal with uh, if anything else goes on. I, I'm more concerned about um, the people who are not educated who are getting these things. You know, I mean, we require people to do more to get a, a license to drive a car than we do to own a gun. <laughs> we really do. Yeah. You, know, you don't in most states, you don't have to take any kind of class at all. No, I know. To get a gun. I know. Zero. Nothing. <laughs> you can just go buy it. And I think that's ridiculous. Like, at least have there be some education before you hand this over to someone, not just, you know, um, because we want to vet people, but because it can be dangerous and you don't want them to hurt themselves by accident yeah. or other people by accident. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd be fine with that, too. So, um, But let, let, me, let me read you a quote. I want to hear what you guys think about it. This is actually from uh, 2013. Uh, from Joe Rogan. Um, you, you probably have heard of him. Yes. Um, so this country has a mental health problem disguised as a gun problem and a tyranny problem disguised as a security problem. 
Well, I, I, I can't... I can't really agree with that statement, but there is, the, the part I agree with, there is a part, a part I agree with it, and that is there is a mental health issue yeah. in the country that, that has existed for a long time and is not being fully addressed. This is one kind of underfunded and under... Uh, well, it's being cut. Uh, yeah, under... It's, it's really... People aren't really looking at it with the seriousness They're- they should. And well, I mean, I mean, it, it it seems insane to me that we would not be looking at doing some, you know, some sane gun control type stuff like we've discussed here, while at the same time be trying to be essentially eliminating uh, health care that could help people that have mental health issues. Yeah, I mean, we we do, we do very little with mental health, and what little we do with it. We're we're trying to get rid of. It seems ridiculous. Yeah, there, there does seem. We're, we're basically saying, let's have more guns and don't worry about anyone's mental state. Fuck it. Yeah. Now, okay. now, I will say that that would mental health legislation would not have helped this situation. This guy would not have been one who probably not couldn't get guns right. and whatever issues he had going on, he hid very well. And some probably people not. And that. no, and no laws are perfect, and we'll catch everything. Right? It's never going to happen. But but you just like in poker or advantage uh, gambling, you look at the odds, right? It, will it increase? Will it increase? Decrease the likelihood of something happening by X percent? Is that worth it? You know. There's a lot of BS. Oh, sorry, I was trying. I, I see a uh, I, a new thing came out uh, that apparently he paid cash. Uh, he paid cash a lot. That. Uh, um, and, and apparently when he uh, – th- that he put on – some kind of, what was the application? Something when he was buying a house that he put his – his income was from, quote, gambling. Uh-huh. And that he paid cash for the house. I think it was the one in – was this a Mesquite house? Uh, yeah. It was a Mesquite house he bought for cash for 369000 It's a lot of cash to have laying around. Yeah. So I, I'm still not totally clear where he got the cash, though. If he owned real estate and then just uh, turned some of that equity into cash, that could make sense. But uh, anyway, that's, uh, that's I guess, one small update here that he bought the house for cash. But, but, uh, but you know what I mean? I think there are two sides to this debate. One is doing something reasonable so there aren't mass killing machines. And I'm not, I'm not saying get rid of all guns. I own, I own guns. I like guns. You know, um, and and have there be some kind of reasonable license or training process so people know what the fuck they're doing with them, right? Um, and then on the other hand, you know, <laughs> looking at mental health as as an actual problem, you know. Yeah, yeah, they definitely need to do something about uh, about the mental health problem in this country, and that that does need to be looked at and and definitely shouldn't be cuts in that area and it, it hasn't been taken seriously for for a while now so that's uh, again that's I, they probably won't get that much focus here because i think everyone will agree when this is all over that there were not signs that uh he should have been restricted in any way because of mental health issues it looked like whatever issues he had he hid very well so but that's probably won't get that much attention here whereas so if, here, here's a question for you Drew. 
So we the U.S. already abroad already has a reputation of being violent and you know <laughs> kind of crazy and consumer driven and all that stuff. What do you think this will do for the the tourism business in Las Vegas? Short term and potentially long term. I think short term, anything that has to do with a crowd, this will hurt. Anything you where mean a large people cr- just yeah. decide to not go. To yeah, I, I think to some things people will decide not to go. At least, at least in the immediate future. I think as far and as I don't pe- think it's Vegas, just Vegas. I mean, my dad was supposed to go to the see Coldplay on Sunday with his girlfriend. Now they're like, oh, she doesn't want to go. We might not go. Yeah, it, it you know it'll eventually recover. Like much like people said after nine eleven, oh, who's going to fly again? And, and for a little while. People weren't flying, right? And then, some, and then there was even a crash shortly after nine eleven. That uh, yeah, wasn't Vegas offering like uh, free hotel stays or something? I I don't know, but I know that there was Vegas was struggling. Yeah, they did and, a promotion like that, and, and I know that uh, the airlines are struggling after that, and they they had to restructure everything, and so it eventually changed. And now you, you don't find now sixteen years later people who aren't flying because of nine eleven. So that's mm-hmm. it's and a long time ago that stopped. So I, I think this will stop also unless you see more of these type of attacks. But in the immediate future, we probably will see that. We'll probably see. I, I bet Vegas uh, for New Year's now is going mm-hmm. to see much less demand than they saw before. What's interesting is just days before this happened, I actually booked a hotel <laughs> for New Year's for free. But uh, <laughs> I booked it. And I'm still going to go, by the way. But but I'll tell you something. I never I. I I never do anymore. I don't ever go out into that crowd. I, I watch the fireworks from the room. I just don't not not out of safety, but I just don't like the the giant crowd out there and in the cold. It's just not not fun. So I prefer to be up in the room and watch the fireworks there from the room. And uh, so that's it's not going to be a concern anyway. I won't even be down there. But I, I'm even wondering they're still going to have the same problem. They have the all the hotels surrounding the even much larger crowd of people. The New Year's, and I wonder if they are going to, in these hotels, try to catch in some way if people uh, are bringing things in. I'm even hearing about the talk of, of metal detectors that you have to bring your luggage through in some way. But what a pain in the ass well, that, that, that That's the other thing is, you know, it's going to be part fear, you know, people just not wanting to deal with being in a situation like that. And part not wanting to have to deal with all the security bullshit and hassles that yeah. you're going to have to go through. I'm still bitter as fuck about that that goddamn uh, shoe bomber guy <laughs> for making you take off your. Now, I mean, I since have gotten the uh, TSA pre-checks, yeah, stuff, so yeah, I don't yeah, have to do too, that anymore. Yeah. But still, man, for the longest time, I was so mad at that fucking guy just because the inconvenience of. Taking your shoes off, taking your fucking laptop out. I mean, it's just annoying. Yeah, I know. It is. Uh, By the way, speaking of some other changes that might come to Las Vegas as a result of this, in addition to talk about screening luggage in some way, like maybe metal detectors you have to pass through to get to your room or or whatever, uh, there's also talk that do not disturb signs left throughout the duration of the stay, something I love doing. Yeah, me too. Might be a thing of the past. And people used to ask me, why would you want to stay in a hotel for three days and, and never let the maid in? I said, well, okay, do I get a maid in my house every three, you know, for three days? No. Then then why do I have to do it in a hotel room? 
I I don't. I, I do the same thing you do. I put the do not disturb sign on, but I just leave it on my own terms. Like instead of someone knocking on my door at nine a.m. going hello, hello, you know, just when I when I leave, I take it off and I tell housekeeping on the way out, you know, come do something with my room. Okay, I I do, I do it more of an extreme. I just don't let them in at all unless I'm like I'm there like four or five days and I'll let them in. But uh, well, at some point, you want them to change your sheets and your towels and shit. Right? Oh no! I get towels myself. I, I just get towels off the cart and uh, the sheets. You know, I don't change my sheets every three days at home. So well, then you're not having enough fun, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know. So uh, anyway, the these things may come as standard in Las Vegas. Like the do not disturb thing actually bothers me more than the screening for the luggage because you know. Yeah, it'd be a pain in the ass to bring my luggage to the metal detector or something to get to the room, but it's a one-time thing each way in, out. It's a, a minor annoyance. But I I like the fact that I can put it do not disturb and control who comes into my room. And the fact that I won't be able to control that anymore really sucks. Now, I'm not saying this is happening for sure at every property, but there's already discussion that they want access to every room every day. So people can't just stockpile things in there. And this actually brings to mind a yearly argument I have with the Rio. The Rio has a policy that you cannot leave a do not disturb for, I think, more than three days. Otherwise, they come in. And every time I come there, I have to tell them, I want an exception. I don't want them coming in. I will call the, I will call the maid when I need... Like Even when I'm staying there for 10, 15 days, I will then just have the maid come in at my at when I want them to, like you said. So right. they they argue with me. I explain to them why it's not necessary. They say, well, it's for your safety. I go, okay, well, tell me when you want me to come down and present myself that I'm okay. Or tell me when you want me to let security in uh, to, to, to go take a look at the room while I'm present, and we'll do that. And yeah, so, I'm sure they could even just have the maid walk in, check the room. No problem. Goodbye. Yeah, but they... I mean, I'm sure- so, so they they eventually back down and agree, and except in one case where they the the supervisor overruled it and went in and sent the maid in anyway, and I I literally got up there and she was crying. <laughs> I came up during a World Series break and the maid was in there almost crying, and said, I didn't want to, I didn't want to. I tell him no, 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 and I said, don't worry about it, I'm not mad at you, and I was furious at the supervisor and got him in trouble for overruling that. Because the supervisor basically said, "I don't care what the front desk said; I'm doing it anyway." So, wow. So he he learned he wasn't able to do that anymore. Anyway, the uh, but I, I I was very nice to the maid though. I was, she she was so when she saw me she freaked out. She was she was really about to be in tears, and I said, "No, no, no, no. I, it's it's not your fault. I, if they made you do it, I'm not mad." But uh, the uh, except for that one time, they have ultimately respected it, and. I have a feeling that's going to be the end of that. <laughs> I have a feeling that uh, they're going to give me the middle finger next time I tell them that I don't want them coming in. So uh, those are those are possibilities that might be coming to Vegas. Now, I want to talk about this conspiracy theory about the shooter on the fourth floor. No oh, doubt. Let, let, me, let me just say something real quick before you do that, because I, I definitely want to hear that. But there's a, a new story that just came out that said that this uh, paddock guy was um, actually shooting at the aviation fuel tanks that were over a thousand feet away, and he actually hit them. Oh wow! Like there actually were bullet holes in these big—they're like these, you know, huge uh, white 
uh, tanks that hold aviation fuel. Can you imagine? Wow. I mean, it, it, it penetrated some. Can you imagine those fuckers blew up? Wow. Yeah. And it was definitely definitely going for a lot of uh, a lot of destruction there. Yeah, that's crazy. So, I mean, yeah, the, the, think about it. If, if once you set out to do this, you're really just going for as many kills as possible. Sadly, he, he he wasn't just thinking, oh, okay, I'll only kill a few hundred here. It was it was let's if he could have killed ten thousand, I'm sure he would have easily done it. Oh yeah. So. Uh, this shooter on the fourth floor thing, whenever some tragedy like this occurs, you, you have a certain segment of the population who want to see something more in it. They, they can't ever take anything at face value. Everything's got to be a conspiracy. Everything's got to be more than meets the eye. Everything's got to be a cover-up. So there's been a number of stupid conspiracy theories involving this, including that the whole thing was faked, which we usually get when these type of things occur. Uh, but also, the one that's been going around the most is this fourth floor shooter thing. And you've probably seen the videos that uh, where there's this one of a cab driver who you, you clearly hear the shooting. And then you show the the cab driver is, is pointing their camera towards the Mandalay Bay. And you see on a low floor, which looks like it might be the fourth, uh, flashing. Like flash, 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 flash as the firing is going. And you think, okay, well... That must be the gun shooting on the fourth floor. Now, nobody can answer the question, if that happened, then why are there no broken windows on the fourth floor? Why? How is it possible that the windows magically repaired themselves and that the only two broken windows are on the 32nd floor? Nobody can explain that one. But putting that aside, putting that aside. Yeah, what were those separate windows from? They're two hotel rooms kind of far away from each other. What oh, you mean the, 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 the broken windows on the 32nd? Yeah. Oh no, no, that was that was all his room. He had two rooms that were adjoining, and he had uh, uh, he he okay. broke them both. Yeah, it was in the same. Uh, it was both him. Just yeah, they to, looked far away from the shots. It, it kind of is, but uh, it, it's it's two vantage points that he used to shoot from, and uh, uh, he got those two rooms connecting specifically at his request, and those were what he wanted. He 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 planned the whole thing out to break those two particular windows, but this fourth floor thing. Aside from the fact that there's no broken windows there or any openings to shoot from, I was wondering when I saw these videos, which seemed to be authentic, that you know, why why were we seeing what looked like flashing like you'd expect a gun to be making at night? Rapid flashing. Why was that coming from the fourth floor as these shots were ringing out? And I saw a few different videos showing the flashing. And I said, you know what? This could be fake, but I, I think the flashing's real. I think these are real un- unaltered videos of flashing on the fourth floor. I think someone even showed one that looks like it's like the 11th floor. Still didn't explain why there were no broken windows, but I did wonder, what is that about? But then I found a video, a Fox News video of all things of a reporter after this all happened. After this was done. After the shooting stopped, the guy was dead. After it's acknowledged that there were no shots fired after this point. A Fox News reporter just doing reporting on the situation, and guess what's right behind him? Rapid flashing on the fourth floor. So it's just some strobe light over there. It could be a reflection. Whatever it is, it's something that seems to flash against the Mandalay Bay often. 
I can't tell if it's from inside the Mandalay Bay or probably something from the outside, but it's something that had nothing to do with this. Because after the, the shooting was over and everyone admits it was over, that flashing was still happening on the fourth floor. So what happened was, I believe that cab driver hears the, the, hears the firing, hears it's in the direction of the Mandalay Bay, looks up at the Mandalay Bay, and on the fourth floor, sure enough, it's flashing looking like gunfire. It's a coincidence. And it's so easy to explain because it's still going on after the, the shooting's over. So it's just something that looked like it was gunfire because it's flash, 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 but it wasn't. That's it. So there, there is no fourth floor shooter. And you can look at my Twitter, twitter.com slash Todd Butelis, and you will see the little uh, Fox News video that I posted. Uh, not trying The video is not trying to prove this. It's just a... a, a video taken from Fox News of the flashing in the background. Here, I'll just play it. Can't really hear it that well. But in the background, yeah. Actually, this looks more like the 11th floor. But you see that same flashing. And this already says on the screen, 50 plus dead, 200 plus hurt, blah, blah, blah. So it's a guy standing there in front of that. And it's still flashing. So whatever the hell it is, an alarm, a strobe light, a reflection, nothing to do with, with... other gunfire. So when you see that in your Facebook feed, tell the people posting that they're idiots. I don't believe there's any conspiracy here. I think it's possible there are things we don't know yet. I think it's po- if there's possibilities there are accomplices or, or, or people he did this for. I don't think so, but it's possible. But... It's it's uh, it's not true. These things about the the shooters on the fourth floor. How do they even explain this? You say, okay, this fourth floor shooter, this eleventh floor shooter. Okay, how? How? How are all the windows intact? How did that happen? How in a building where the windows cannot open or be removed in any way? How is it possible someone shot out of them and the windows are intact? So, some people in chat. I knew some people in chat wouldn't be happy about this. Someone saying a Druff couldn't even comprehend of a conspiracy within the federal government. Uh, Jay Statue said, "Sheriff said Paddock had help minutes ago." Druff. Well, I'd be interested to hear about that. I would be interested. I see that that I'm not ruling out. That that I and you you won't find any part of this show up till now. Where I said, there's no way he had help. Or there's no way there are others on. I, I, I kind of saw that it was probably something more. Like my assumption was probably more just him doing it on his own. But I never ruled that out. Because you can't rule that out. Now Lou Father's saying that uh, he didn't confirm he had help. Well, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll find that out. My guess right now is that he didn't. But if he did, I won't be absolutely shocked. But th- there wasn't a fourth floor or 11th floor shooter. Um, I, I'd actually be more willing to believe that uh, there was a shooter on the ground. Not that I'm saying there was, but at least that you could that you could believe. Let's say there was this Paddock and some friend. The friend was on the ground. Paddock was on the thirty second floor, and everyone just thinks it was only Paddock. Fine. But uh, there, there was not a fourth floor or eleventh floor shooter from the Mandalay Bay.
there, there are going to be stupid conspiracy theories for years. This is just the beginning. Yes, I'm sure <laughs> so there will be. What, whatever. Yeah. yeah. You know? I, I just wanted to answer the fourth floor one because I, I was seeing that being spread around a lot on Facebook by people who normally don't spread things like that around. So... Uh, So is the World Series of Poker in danger? I have said before, long before this happened, that I have a moderate concern that the World Series of Poker could be the venue of a terrorist attack. Or I guess even a non-terrorist, just mass murder attack like this. Why? Because there's mass numbers of people in a small space. And because... It's crowded. It's, it's, it's hard for security to keep track of everybody. There's far more people than there are security. Easy to hide within a crowd. There's not control of who enters or leaves. It's very easy to walk in and various entrances. So, is the World Series of Poker next? Is this something that has ever been considered? as a target by either terrorists or mass murderers. I don't know. but Now, the World Series of Poker wouldn't be attacked in this fashion, because it's indoors, but could that be a target at some point? Or could other convention-type gatherings at Las Vegas be the next target? There's very large conventions that take place there, too. So the question is, is this just one in what's going to be a series of very tragic and serious and deadly attacks in Las Vegas because of the crowds of people that get together there? And I don't know. Obviously, I can't say yes or no, but uh, the truth is the World Series can't do much to prevent it either because of the sheer number of people that are constantly passing through there. Like, can you imagine if they made everyone go through a metal detector or something to get into that area? It would take an eternity to get in. I know I when mean, I... When that, I that would be a fucking nightmare, but... <laughs> it, 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 you know, if someone walked into the Amazon and just started blowing people away... I mean, it, it would be a, a complete nightmare, obviously, right? Yeah. Um, but I think that the, what, what this guy did is even more of a nightmare, you know? From the point of view of if someone actually walks into that room, they do have funnels that people have to walk through to get in there, and there are only so many ways out, you know? Yeah, well, I think someone who would go in like that probably would know that they're probably going to get shot dead by by the police or security or whatever, but... Uh, uh, but what this guy did, it was harder to stop him. Like it's, uh, he could just keep firing on the crowd from way up there, and and also people don't know exactly where it's coming from. So it it, it is scarier to have what occurred there. That's what that's what was really freaking everyone out during this concert. Is that uh, first they think it's like firecrackers. And then when they realize it's gunfire, they're like, okay, who's firing and where is it coming from? Everybody gets down, and they think, okay, it's over. They get up, and they hear it's happening again. Then some of them think it's far away, which it was. 
So people think, okay, well, this is kind of scary, but at least it's pretty far away. And then they start seeing people go down next to them. And But you don't see a shooter. So that's that's what uh, was very unnerving for all these people. Even you know, I think there were 22,000 people there, so obviously the vast majority of them escaped without any harm, including Dan Bilzerian, by the way, who claimed he saw a girl got shot in the head. Dan Bilzerian ran out, but actually went and got his gun and returned. Oh, my God. Yeah. But but then they sent him away and told him there's nothing he could do, which is true. But uh, he, he, he filmed himself running out of there. And like a seven-second video of him running out. Let's see if I can find this here. Here it is. Holy fuck, this girl just got shot in the fucking head. It's so fucking crazy. Holy fuck, this girl just got shot in the fucking head. It's so fucking crazy. So it was that actually, the gunfire? Yeah, it was a gunfire, yeah. Yeah, that ain't ain't no semi-automatic weapon there. Yeah, he was... I like how Dan Bilzerian's actually recording himself running away. He's actually running as he's doing this. And the the, the gunfire is going off. Uh, I didn't know anybody personally who was killed, and I don't think I know anyone who's injured, though... Maybe I do, and I don't realize it yet. Though two people on our forum, one of whom calls the radio show semi-frequently, as I said, could have been victims if he had gone through with the plan a week earlier at the Life is Beautiful Festival. So, imagine if One Step was killed at the Life is Beautiful Festival by this guy a week earlier. Wouldn't that be strange to, like, like, how would we even have, like, a retrospective for him? Like, what, what, what calls could we even play? Like, him, him talking about uh, blowing twinks in the, in the hallway or, or him uh, begging for stakes to come, to come to Vegas and blow twinks in the, in, in the stairwell? Like, what would we even play for one step that would make him a sympathetic character if he were a victim of this? I don't even know. All right, so I, I think we've covered pretty much everything here took a few hours to do it actually we retained most of the audience i guess the audience uh, was pretty riveted by this we even though it's gotten pretty late we've retained most people who started out listening so let's move on to other topics here and if more news comes in during the show then we will update you. Which, if you're listening in the archives, you probably will have known this news, but I think it's still worth doing. So I want to talk about the Ignition Bovada situation with the Bitcoin disappearing. As, as I mentioned last week, and you can go back and listen to last week's show if you want to hear that segment. Someone on 2 Plus 2 and then you know, other people chimed in to say this happened to them too, alleged that a Bitcoin cash-out 
disappeared that they initiated on ignition. The first person who posted about this claimed that they initiated a cash out and that someone intercepted it and changed the Bitcoin address to where it was going to. So where the cash out was processed, but it went to a different Bitcoin address that was not theirs. And then that Bitcoin address was emptied fairly quickly with a bunch of small transactions. And it's still not solved, and Bovada was not being, or Ignition wasn't being very cooperative. By the way, Ignition and Bovada are the same thing. They're on the same network. I believe they're the same company, even though they pretend not to be. So I'm including them as, as pretty much the same thing. So others came forward to say that they were victims as well recently involving these Bitcoin cash outs, except it seems like the more common MO does not involve changing a Bitcoin address. But it seems the more common MO is to access someone's Bovada or Ignition account in some way, start a withdrawal request, and then knowing the person's going to get email confirming the withdrawal request to a Bitcoin address, starting to spam that person's email so they miss the email from Bovada which is pretty clever. And in fact, it worked. So if you have a Bovada or Ignition account with money in it, and you suddenly see you get just massive amounts of spam to that email that you have registered, I would immediately call up Bovada or Ignition, whoever is managing your account, and ask them if a withdrawal is in progress. And if so, have them cancel it. Because it does take a few days to for them to process it. So the second you see this spam, and I don't just mean like a few pieces of spam, I mean if you get hammered with tons of spam, like thousands of of spam emails at once to the same address that you use for your Bovada or Ignition account. And if you have money on there, I, I would definitely advise calling in and checking if anyone did a withdrawal request and cancel any any withdrawal request that was made without your permission, obviously. Because it seems like that's what's mainly happening. So this is what a guy named Informer1 told me. Informer1 is a Limit Hold'em player. I'm sure I've played with him plenty on there. I just can't tell it because it's uh, anonymous. But he's a Limit Hold'em player. He's played on Bovada for years, and he even played back on Absolute Poker. And he, in fact, he remembers me there. I think I remember him too. I even have his phone number, but he hasn't yet given me permission to call him, so I won't call him tonight. But he said, my story is slightly different than the Bitcoin address being changed. It might happen on Bovada, not Ignition. A Bitcoin request was made, he means a withdrawal request, that I never initiated. In the meantime, I received thousands of spam emails, so the automated Bovada emails got delayed. By the time I received the automated Bovada emails, the money was gone when I logged into the account. All of my message history was deleted, too. You have a history of the emails that they sent to you. Kind of weird, but I never deleted any messages on Bovada, so I'm not sure what to make of that. I know what to make of it. They, they went and deleted it for him, whoever did this to him. I played Limit Hold'em under Informer 1 on Absolute Poker and Ultimate Bet. You may be might be able to find some of my info, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Uh, I've played Limit Hold'em on Bovada for years now. Honestly, I've never had a problem with them regarding any funds. 
I've been a, if you've been a regular in the poker community, I'm sure you can get a, I can get a reference for someone you may know who may vouch for my character. I really have no idea what happened. I have some theories, but nothing concrete. The fact that the Bovada rep said everything looked normal also makes no sense. I've also been barely playing poker and have been logging into my account or, or and, and haven't been logging into my account much. Bovada only takes the money out of the account right before they send it, which I feel can cause more of this. If they take the money out when it's requested, it's possible someone can catch something like this before they send it off. That's I disagree with that. I think it's better that there's a delay. <laughs> this way, when you get the spam, you have time to call up and stop it. Once they send the Bitcoin, it's too late. Anyway, I'm happy to give you all the details and timestamps if you want it. I'm guessing something similar like this has happened to more than four people. Those are just posters on 2 plus 2. So he also told me in another message that his password was not changed. So someone didn't reset his password or anything. So his, his same password still worked. And uh, he also said that the emails were just delayed. It wasn't that they got lost in all the spam. It's just he didn't get them until later. He said he's assuming that it was delayed because of all the spam. But it doesn't really work that way. I think what happened is... Uh, I think the email just gets delayed. I've seen this before where on Bovada, I just get an email like later than the messages. Like uh, I see it where if I go into my Bovada messages, they've sent me a message and then it'll show up an email like two days later. I've seen that with withdrawals before where there's like nothing wrong, where I do a withdrawal, the withdrawal hits, the withdrawal shows in my Bovada messages that they processed it. And then two days later, Todd, we've processed your withdrawal for whatever. So I think their email systems just delayed sometimes. But I think the spam was done in case it's not delayed, and this way it'll get lost in there. So, again, if you see a ton of spam hitting your account, your email account, out of nowhere, and you have money on Bovada or Ignition, watch out. Call them immediately. He said, I'm assuming this was an inside job, or someone got my password and mother's maiden name and requested it. Because I guess you have to enter your mother's maiden name in there to request it, which isn't that hard to get nowadays. You can look up their genealogy sites or whatever. I still don't understand how the hacker made it look like my withdrawal was from my computer, which Bovada claimed. Hmm. So he's claiming that Bovada says this actually came from him. Well, I think Bovada's not telling the truth. That's what I think. I think somebody on the inside is accessing the ability to make these withdrawal requests. Maybe it's someone within customer service. I don't know who it is, but I don't know how their system works. But it sounds like they're actually able to initiate withdrawal requests. They just can't stop the automated emails that go out telling people. So they're claiming it happened from his computer, but unless he installed some sort of malware that would allow this to happen, then... I can't see how that's possible. Especially because nobody reset his password. It was the, sa- the same password is still working. Now you could say maybe there's a keylogger on his computer, but then still they would have logged in from a different IP. So, just watch out. It seems like the key here is the spam. So my suggestion for Ignition Bovada is if you're going to withdraw using Bitcoin... 
Call up. Call up and do it on the phone. Read them the Bitcoin address. Record the call yourself. They're also recording the call. And tell them you want a confirmation email, even if it's one they send you manually, that includes the Bitcoin address that they're sending it to. And tell them why. Be honest. Tell them why. Tell them you've seen reports about this. That's what I'm going to do next time I make a withdrawal in Bitcoin from there. I see hockey guy just came in and said, fuck you, Druff. Thank you very much. So we'll continue to monitor this. But my suggestion for right now is to withdraw over the phone, record it, have them send you a confirmation email with the Bitcoin address, and watch your email. To If it's getting inundated by spam, then you better watch out. Don't have much more on that right now, but that's what you can do to protect yourself. It is good that it's delayed. It gives you a few days to react. That's why I'm not totally panicking, because I'm like, okay, if I, if I get all the spam, then I know what I better do. Let's see here. Uh, I lost the agenda again. <laughs> Always has to happen once per show. How does that happen? Because I, I start following links and everything, and just somehow I'm on a different part of Poker Fraudle, or just every time it's just some point the agenda falls off my screen, and then i got to go back and... I just got to have a tab. I just train myself just never to click on anything and never to browse anywhere else just to leave that tab alone. So I, here's a little bit of lighter news. The ATM at Caesars Properties is one you're not going to want to use anymore if you've ever used it. I, I don't like using ATMs in casinos. I, I absolutely hate paying any kind of fees at ATMs, as you might guess. So, I just detest fees of any kind. And ATM fees are no exception. So, if there's a fee to pay for the ATM, I usually, unless I absolutely need the money, I won't pay it. One time I forgot to bring cash to Dodger Stadium and I couldn't park there. So, I had to have them agree to let me in just temporarily to go to the ATM machine. And I had to pay like a $3 fee, and it just killed me. But if you're one of these degenerates that runs out of money while playing at the casino and need to hit the ATM, I would advise not hitting the Caesars ATM. This is because the Caesars ATM has raised its fee to... One million dollars. I may get there one day. $10. A $10 ATM fee. It's, it's bad enough that they're taking your money anyway through the negative expectation casino games that you're getting the money for. But they're also hitting you with a $10 fee, including uh, you may actually pay more because your bank may charge a fee on top of that. So a $10 fee 
ATMs at Caesars Properties in Las Vegas are going to be charging you. So watch out. Don't just go to the ATM and say, oh, I'll pay the fee, who cares? No. Even if you say, hey, $10 is not that big of a deal, just don't in principle. Don't don't give it to them. And It's a third-party company collecting it, but believe me, Caesars has a say in this. I don't know what uh, what percentage that they are keeping and what percentage the third-party company who owns the ATM is keeping, but just don't do it. Go to, go to an ATM elsewhere. There's other ATMs on the Strip that are cheaper. And it just, just going to plan ahead. If you're getting low on funds and you want to go to an ATM, go, go to a cheaper ATM that you know, may charge you $3. And they actually just raised it. It was, it was $7 before, which was already terrible. I didn't even know such ATMs existed. I didn't know they were charging 7 already. And 10 is just insane. So someone said on a different forum where I posted this, Nobody should be using ATMs in Vegas or anywhere unless there's an emergency. Bring the cash you need. Take markers or open a bank account in a bank near your gaming venue. Yeah, but people don't want to leave. You know, they, you just run out of cash, and then there's the ATM. That's why. These are things you have to kind of plan beforehand. So, now I think the Casino Royale. I think they charge $3. And that's not that far from most users' properties. Again, you may not want to walk out of the property and go all the way to, you know, walk to Casino Royale just to save 7 bucks, but I would do it out of principle. It just pissed me off. Calwat, if, if you were playing in one of the Caesars properties and, and lost all your money that you had with you and you wanted to reload, would, would you pay this $10 ATM fee or would you actually walk elsewhere to, because you'd be so pissed off about it? I would probably walk elsewhere. and I mean, honestly, like when stuff like that happens, I usually just stop. You know, I don't really want to chase it, but I probably would just go somewhere else, like play somewhere else too. You know? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Like, I, you change. Why not? I, I've seen people argue that degenerates will just pay whatever they have to to get money to continue gambling, and there are a lot of people like that. But I think there's others who, once they see this, are, are just going to be so pissed, and may, it may actually assist them in, in stopping. <laughs> it actually could get them to say, you know what? Let's forget this whole thing. I, I've lost enough today. I'm not paying this too. Screw that. That's the final straw. I'm not. I'm just not going to do it. Like I, I could see that, and not even just cheap Jews like me. I could actually see where this will piss people off enough to where they either they go play somewhere else or they just decide this is time to stop. This is the this is the sign that I need to stop. That I have to pay ten dollars to this ATM. Uh, there's actually a picture that was on the Seven Stars Insider site, which is. It's not exactly what it sounds. A Seven Stars Insider is a newsletter by just a guy who's a Seven Stars in Atlantic City. It's pretty good, though. But there's a picture of it from Harrah's. It says, Ultron Processing Services will add a convenience fee of $9.99 to this transaction. This fee is in addition to any fee your financial institution may charge. Do you want to continue yes or no? I like how it's $9.99. Why, why not just put 10 Like... Is is this really the place to put nine ninety nine? I know, and a convenience fee doesn't sound too convenient. 
Real fucking convenient. So that's that's obnoxious. I just wanted to mention that. So so avoid the ATM. Just out of principle, avoid the ATM at Caesar's properties. It's just awful. I I would think they would be the opposite. I would think they should do this for free and maybe eat the fees, knowing that they're going to get these people's money. They're 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 getting desperate gamblers withdrawing. Why not just let them do it for free? Yeah, they should be giving them like three hundred and ten dollars in chips. Yeah, they take out three hundred. Right, right. There should be some sort of promotional chips you get for this. It should be the reverse. I don't get this. So, next topic. Antigua has had a long-standing issue with the U.S. in a World Trade Organization case where Antigua claimed that the U.S. making online gambling illegal was in violation of fair trade because Antigua's economy depends largely upon these gambling sites that were based there and still are based there. And the U.S. making these illegal was interfering in free trade. Now, I I thought that argument was ridiculous. I think the U.S., while I don't agree with these laws, I think the U.S. has the right to make these laws and that foreign countries can't claim that it's violating their rights in some way when the U.S. prevents their own citizens from gambling in Antigua while sitting in the U.S., I would understand more if there was some sort of restriction on going to Antigua to gamble in their casinos. But that's not what this is. This is gambling in Antigua while sitting in the U.S., and you're not under any protections that would normally be in the U.S. when you gamble on these Antiguan sites. So it's understandable why the U.S. wanted to prevent this, even though I don't agree with uh, these these gambling bans that exist in the U.S., I I think should be licensed and regulated. I, I, I agree, at least, that uh, they can't just allow any country to run these sites and then people end up being scammed and screwed and there's no regulation. So, at the very least, I, I can't see how Antigua had a real claim there, but somehow the World Trade Organization ruled in their favor. And this was many years ago. I think this is like in 03. This is a very long time ago. And something that happens in cases like these is that the U.S. is a lot more powerful than the World Trade Organization. So when there's a ruling that the U.S. doesn't like, the U.S. just says, well, screw you. We're not paying. What are you going to do about it? Yep. Yeah, so this has gone in since 03. And I guess the ruling was about, uh, I think it was in 2007. And the World Trade Organization ruled that Antigua was due $21 million per year until this changes. That every year the U.S. doesn't allow Americans to play on Antiguan gambling sites, that the U.S. owes them $21 million. So in response to that, the U.S. said, (laughs) and they were not going to pay. So this is dragged on. Now, how can Antigua maybe collect this $21 million? Well, believe it or not, the World Trade Organization ruled that one way that they can collect is by making, quote, their own versions of various U.S. intellectual property goods, which means that they can just ignore U.S. copyrights and make bootleg versions 
of music, movies, whatever, software, whatever, anything produced in the U.S. that and the World Trade Organization is saying, go ahead, go ahead and steal from U.S. citizens to get this money back, which is insane because this isn't getting back at the government. This is actually stealing from either U.S. private parties or U.S. companies, which have nothing to do with this. That's why this is so crazy. This is actually the, the World Trade Organization ruled that Antigua can do this to collect. So they said, okay, well, since the U.S. won't pay, just just go ahead and, and keep pirating uh, movies and software and music and, and go ahead and sell them until you've collected $21 million each year. It's insane that it was actually uh, ruled that they can do this because it's punishing the wrong people. Even if you want to agree with this decision, it's punishing the wrong people. But it was seen that maybe the U.S. will get uh, concerned at this point that it's going to screw with uh, its intellectual property, and in order to protect their citizens from this, that they're just going to pay it themselves, since $21 million is very little per year for the U.S. government. Instead, the U.S. said, you know what? We already give aid to Antigua. So we're just going to tell Antigua, if they dare try to do this, then we're going to cut off the aid. Mm. <laughs> so that was the end of that. So it's it's dragged and dragged, and nothing has gone anywhere. Right now, the U.S. owes $270 million, because this has existed now for more than 10 years. And it's still not solved. It's still not resolved. It's, it's, it has no signs that it's going to be resolved anytime soon. Uh, here's a statement from Antigua. And uh, this is, uh, I th- think, to the chairman of, uh, of the WTO. Uh, Mr. Chairman... It continues to be most unfortunate that despite 14 long years of deprivation, Antigua and Barbuda has has to appear before this body year after year to report that the United States has not seen it possible to offer fair and equitable terms to my small country for the significant losses in trade revenues that it has suffered as a result of the U.S. violation of the General Agreement in Trade of Services. At the last meeting of this body on, on November 23, 2016, where this matter was discussed, the delegation of the United States indicated that it had offered, quote, a broad range of use, useful suggestions to settle this dispute in November 2013, only to have Antigua ignore the U.S. offer for a long enough period of time before finally indicating it was not acceptable. For the record, Chair, my delegation is compelled to advise that in accordance with the award made to my country by the arbitration panel, the trade losses to Antigua and Barbuda now stands at more than $200 million. The U.S. offer that my government found, quote, not acceptable, uh, did not amount to $2 million. <laughs> so I, I guess the U.S. was trying to settle for $2 million of the tw- 270 uh, it, it should be no surprise, therefore, that my government could not accept the offer. It cost my country much more than $2 million simply to bring this trade dispute to the attention of this body and seek redress in conformity with the established and binding rules. Uh, the U.S. delegation also told this body last November that the U.S. offered a generous package of services concessions as compensation for removing Internet gambling from the U.S. schedule, and Antigua is the only member to block the United States from completing this process. My delegation is further obliged to point out that my government has not blocked the United States from removing its commitment to the schedule. We have acted to safeguard our rights. 
So this, this goes on for a while, but uh, yeah, basically, the, the, the guy's saying that the entire the, the entire economy of Antigua and Barbuda is one point four billion, and the entire size of the U.S. economy is eighteen trillion. So he's, he's trying to say that this is such a pittance the U.S. owes you know owes them compared to the overall economy, but it was a BS ruling in the first place. I don't I don't even mind the U.S. just refusing to pay this, but they shouldn't even be involved with this World Trade Organization. They should just drop out of it and say, we're, you know, we want no part of this anymore, because uh, I, I also understand, like, why even be part of something like this if when something goes against you, you're you're not going to abide by it. So the, tr- the truth is, there shouldn't be just a some kind of body like that that can rule over the U.S. and make these decisions. The U.S. would just decide for itself what is right and what's not right and I'd have to have to answer to anybody and in this case I agree with the United States that if they want to prevent their own citizens from playing on foreign sites while on US soil they have a right to do that so I found that kind of amusing that the US only offered them 2 million <laughs> it's like yeah we won't pay the whole 270 but how about uh, how about 2 how about two? Is that good? Are we done here? <laughs> I, I feel like at this point the U.S. is just screwing with them. Sure seems like it. Well, here's an amount of money we're going to talk about that was to come to one individual, not a whole country, and it was almost uh, $2 million, or kind of more than half. you got to watch out when you play at an Indian casino, because Indian casinos are considered to be on sovereign land, where... It's kind of a weird legality where they kind of have their own rights and own government and kind of don't. So they're in the United States, but at the same time, they don't have to follow all state and federal laws, but some of them they do. So it's always a complicated situation when a dispute comes up. By the way, I just got a message from Trader Ruski. I just got knocked off. I'll listen to the rest of the show. Just finish the herbal tea. Okay. You might you might be finishing the show alone, buddy. I can tell. I can I can already tell in your voice you're getting tired. <laughs> I can tell it's uh, you're fading fast. So l- listen to this. this I want to hear this story though. I'm I'm torn. Yeah, th- this is this is a frustrating situation. It frustrates we me. We know to... it takes me at least three minutes to get upstairs. Yeah, <laughs> you know, based on the whole booty call thing. So right. I don't know. I don't know if I should. All right, I'm, I'm going to listen for a little bit. Okay. If, I, if I knock off, it's you know why. Well, okay. I'm used to it. Okay. Oh, hey, I tell you. I tell you. You don't see the message sometimes. Well, that's right. I don't see the message till later. Yeah. I tell you. Yeah. <laughs> People ask me all the time. They go, what kind of show is this where your co-hosts fall asleep? Like, how do you have it where, like, both co-hosts fall asleep during the show? I go, well, that's just this show. That's, I, I, I honestly can't think of any other show where that happens, but... Well, I can't. There aren't that many shows that start that late and run that long. Yeah, right. I agree. But I, I guarantee you, if you started at eight o'clock Eastern, I would be there for the whole fucking thing. I guarantee you. Probably true. <laughs> okay, so this is a frustrating story, even if it does not affect you personally, as it does not affect me personally. But I was frustrated reading it. Uh, apparently, in two thousand eleven. Uh, a guy hit a jackpot at an Alabama 
Indian casino called the uh, Wind Creek Casino in Montgomery, Alabama. The Indian tribe in question, the Porch Band of Creek Indians, but for some reason Porch is spelled P-O-A-R-C-H, so it must not mean the porch you think of. The Porch Band of Creek Indians run the Wind Creek Casino in Montgomery, Alabama. And a guy put $5 into the machine and won a jackpot of $1.4 million. The individual who won this jackpot, his name is Jerry Rape. (laughs) That's his real name, Jerry Rape, R-A-P-E, exactly as it sounds. Wow. Wouldn't you change your name? I I hope he doesn't have any daughters. (laughs) Wouldn't you change your name at some point if that's your name? I don't care if it's even pronounced differently. I don't care if it's Rapay or, or Rap or... It's spelled Rape. Don't you think at some point you say, I don't want my last name to be Rape? Yeah, I think that would justify a name change. <laughs> just drop the E. All you got to yeah. do is drop the E. Yeah, change it to Rap, like R-A-P-P or something. Or just... Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Jerry Rape. Well, he got raped by the, the, the porch band of Creek Indians. Wait, do you think the Indians looked at his name and were like, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking might as well. Yeah, might as well. We might as well rape. And you know what? I pro- he's probably so embarrassed by his name, he's probably going to be afraid to bring this public. He's probably so afraid everyone's going to laugh at his name or think he deserved it in some way. So they told him that the machine that he won this $1.4 million jackpot on malfunctioned. <laughs> Now, it is true that there's a disclaimer on every single machine, including in Las Vegas, that malfunction voids all plays and pays. But they're supposed to engage in common sense when defining what a malfunction is. So, for example, if uh, let's say someone hit a royal flush on video poker. They go, wow, I hit a royal flush. Cool. And then they play the next hand, another Royal Flush. They play the next hand, another Royal Flush. And it's the same cards dealt over and over and over. You know, let's say it's a Heart Royal Flush. Over and over. Heart Royal Flush. Heart Royal Flush. Heart Royal Flush. Okay? They get 10 of them in a row. The casino can say, look, this is obviously a malfunction. It's stuck in some way. It's not shuffling the cards. It's dealing the same hand over and over. We're not paying this. That That's what it's there for. Is that if, if the machine does something like that that's clearly a malfunction, clearly the machine's not operating properly, that they don't have to pay. It's not an excuse that if, if uh, somebody hits a jackpot and they don't feel like paying it, uh, that was actually a malfunction. We're, we're not paying you. But that's what it seems like happened there. And when this happened, of course, he, he was very mad about this. And uh, apparently one worker was aware that this goes on over there. And one casino worker apparently told him right when he hit it, don't let them cheat you out of it. So a, a worker knew this was coming. Then, when he was mad that they weren't going to pay him, they detained him for 24 hours in a back room and threatened him in some way. It doesn't say in what way he was threatened, but he was threatened in some way. And they were also saying that... Uh, the machine malfunctioned, they're not paying him. So they detained him and just kept uh, threatening him with something. I don't know with, with legally or, or what, how they were threatening him, but uh, 
He was detained for 24 hours. I don't know what they claim the reason they detained him for, but uh, that happened. Well, he sued them. And the Alabama Supreme Court just ruled, six years later, that he cannot sue them. That the suit has to be thrown out and that they are shielded from state court action because of tribal immunity laws. So even though the merits of his suit seem to be uh, valid, he's not allowed to sue them simply because they're shielded from this. So that's the big problem, is that you, you really can't sue them. You can, you can make complaints to the state gaming board, but you can't... Uh, it, these Indian casinos are very tough to sue over gaming matters. Let me let me ask you a question because I don't understand something about this. So, if there's any kind of a malfunction, but if the malfunction is that the player constantly loses, like how would you even determine that? You know, like it, it seems very one-sided. It, it is. It is, and it, a lot of the times these like the average person could sit down and just. You know, maybe the machine is malfunctioning. They just lose. Yes. Or, you know, multiple people could do it all day, and they wouldn't know any different. Yeah, I know. It doesn't get scrutinized until there's a big win like this. Yeah, of course. A lot of these laws, unfortunately, are very casino-friendly, and this is one of them. And well, It's not just casino-friendly. That's just that's bullshit, really. Yeah, it, right? it, it is. And, and unfortunately, this also – I always wondered that, too. When I saw that – whenever I see that on machines, I always think, you know – doesn't this kind of enable them to cheat you by just claiming it's a malfunction? Yeah, why not? They can, and these days they can just say it's a software malfunction. Yeah, and who and who's going to prove that? And that's basically what they did. They just basically said uh, oh, it was it was yeah. it was malfunctioning. You don't get it. So that's it's very disturbing. So watch out with these Indian casinos. Now, if it's a very very large one like Foxwoods, then they're not going to do it because the the bad publicity from this would would be a killer to them. But the smaller I guess it depends on the percentage of their, you know, their net revenue, whatever yeah. the amount is. The, you know, the, if it was like ten billion dollars, they might they might say we're not paying it. These smaller Indian casinos, they they can pretty much get away with anything. So be very careful there. Don't don't just assume that everything's going to be fine because it's a casino and it's in your state and it's licensed and you can. You don't have the same recourse against them that you would against a non-Indian casino in a situation like this, because I, I believe he would win this lawsuit if it could go forward, but it can't go forward. So that's that. He doesn't get the money. Jerry raped. Uh, that's, that sounds worse than some underground games. You yeah. Know? <laughs> or just bookies who, if you, you beat them up big, they'll just not fucking pay you. Yep. So Jerry rape got, uh, he got raped pretty hard on this one. Well, he's living up to his name anyway. Yeah, so, like up till then, he's like, you know what's so good? Yeah, my, I have that terrible name, but I, I've never had anything happen that would make people associate my name with anything in real life that's occurred. Oh, cool! I just won a jackpot. <laughs> he's a, a a writer's dream, though. I mean, think of the headlines. <laughs> you could just have so much fun with that. So let's see. I think I found the. Oh, what is fourth pay in the pre roll? By the way, fourth pay is seven dollars. All right, roll the $7 back in. I came in fourth. Oh, thank you. 
See, I knew, I knew you'd cash. Once you hit that straight flush, I knew you were going to cash. <laughs> I don't even understand what happened. I, I I shoved for a pot size bet when we were four ways. With uh, I think I had like king nine on a jack eight four board, right? I had nothing, but it was uh, the uh, uh, the small blind had checked and the preflop razor checked. So I just I had a full pot size bet. So I just shoved. I got called by king jack. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? <sighs> or, sorry, it was like queen queen eight four or something. He basically had no pair, no draw. Yeah, why not? <laughs> It's He's a free, like, oh, I can beat a bluff. It's a, it's, it's a free roll. Why not? He's, <laughs> risk, like, he's risking nothing. I was like, good call, sir. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, so I guess this actually even happened in 2010. I guess the lawsuit started in 2011. Wow, it's been going on that long? Yeah, but he just... Jerry just keeps getting raped every year until... Uh, oh, and he's going to get raped by whoever his lawyers are, too. <laughs> he's been he's been living this... Uh, this, this is why people don't report rape. Because they uh, yeah. they have to relive it every every day through the court system for seven years. That's, that's prison life right there. He's just getting raped over over and over again. Yeah. So just watch out with these these smaller Indian casinos, and you know even ones that aren't that small, like the Rincon, known now as Harris Resort, Southern California. This is a Caesar's property. It's part of Total Rewards, but it is run by the Indian tribe, and they make their own decisions on some things. For example. Uh, VegasCasinoTalk.com, which is my other forum, I actually got this from a guy named Alan Mendelson who started it. It was originally called the Alan Best Buys Forum. Alan Mendelson is a former reporter on the news in uh, in L.A. He was like a consumer reporter for a while. And he's an older guy. He's like he's 20 years older than me. But Alan is a video poker player. And even though he's not an advantage player, he admits he's not an advantage player. He he tries to stick to the better pay tables, but he he's definitely someone I would like playing in my casino. Not a huge fish, but it's someone who definitely is not trying to advantage play in any way. So, if I owned a casino, I'd definitely like him as a customer. He was no offered by Harris Rincon. Why? Because he wrote bad things about them on his website. On the site that's now Vegas Casino Talk. So, this is this is a Caesar's property that did this to him, and the the, the uh, manager of the casino told him this. He said that uh, he's tired of of Alan writing critical things about their casino, and uh, he's now been no offered. He's not gonna, he he can play there. He's not banned, but uh, he will no longer get any kind of offers of any kind. So, obviously. Being no offered is something that you couldn't ever take legal action for, even if it was not in any casino. But uh, they really just marched to their own drum. Jeff, uh, I got a I got a question for you. Yes, this is my my last question before I go to bed. Yes. So, would you rather have one million dollars in cash? Or a hundred dollars every time you masturbate. I'd rather have one million dollars. But just think about 
how advantageous this could be for certain <laughs> people that like to go into Starbucks bathrooms and stuff. Well, I know. Yeah, I, th- I think Ken might have to take the hundred dollars. Let's say for Ken him. goes in there and he realizes he doesn't have the money for his, you know, venti mocha mocha soy milk latte. He can just go in, rub one out, and get a hundred bucks. He can sure. buy. What, what made this come like to your on demand ATM? What made this come to your mind? Is this what you're going to go do after you're you're done with the show? No, I'm too tired for that. Man. But uh, but but okay. Why would you rather have the million dollars? I I don't think from this point in my life, I don't I don't think that I'm going to be masturbating ten thousand times. So it would be it would take if you did it once a once a day every day it would take you twenty seven years. Yeah, see, I, I don't to get a million dollars. But I, see, I don't do it once a day, every day, and I, I think well, but, that. But if you if you had the incentive of a hundred dollars every time, you might, right? Yeah, but you know, at some point, it might get a lot tougher when I get older. What if it was two hundred dollars? So now, now we're only talking thirteen years if you did it every day for you to get to a million. Um, and, and think about it, you could do it twice twice a day. You know, you could get a, a Viagra. You could use some of that money, get a Viagra prescription or whatever. Do it twice a day. Some days, more than that. I mean, you could you could bang this out. No pun intended. In five years, maybe the two hundred I do. The hundred I wouldn't do. Just the ten thousand times would just it would take too long. So if you would do the two hundred, here's the question: Like, why would you ever take that? Is it because you think that you will? Exceed the million, and you'll make you'll profit, and you'll make more money in the end. Yes, so that, that's a lot of that's a lot of wanking. But you just you just finished arguing that it's not that much. Well, it it would take you six years to get there, right? Well, yeah, but if, if I'm going to get if I'm going to get that much, then I, I I assume I'll be alive in six years. So, right, but six years jerking off twice a day would get you to the million, which you could have immediately. So it's not until six years later that you're actually turning any profit. Well, that's you know, fine, but then at that point, I just care like, like lifetime how I if I'd come out ahead, which way? That's all that matters. Well, if it, I mean, if it started when you were twelve, you probably would be way ahead. Right? I don't understand. It sounds like you, you you started off arguing one way, and then you increased the offer on the other side, and then all of a sudden that's not a good offer anymore. It doesn't make any sense to me. I'm just arguing both sides, man. I want I want to explore the topic. But so once you, you think. Go ahead. Once you made it 200, it would seem like that you would argue more for that rather than argue against it. It's like at first you're arguing to do the 100, and then I say no. You say okay, what about 200? I say yeah. I go well. Why would you do 200 then? <laughs> it's kind of a reverse arguing here. You should you should have done it the well, other way. Well, okay, okay, but fair enough. But so you think it would be worth you know doing it uh, twice a day for six years? Well, see, that's a different story. If I'd be required to do it, it could be burdensome. But if well, not required, no. But if if I could just do it at at my convenience and get two hundred dollars each time, then yeah, and, and I would think over enough time that, especially with that incentive to do it, you know, if I'm not being paid for it, and, and like th- then I'm only doing it when I really feel like doing it. If I, if I am getting paid, then I probably would do it more, thinking, well, I could go either way on this, but since I get two hundred dollars for it, I will. I mean, do you think the 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 Jew and you would come out and you try and do like you know maybe an unsafe amount? You, you know what? I probably would. Think about it. If you do it like four times a day, that's eight hundred dollars a day. You could actually make uh, pretty good money doing that's, nothing but masturbating. Yeah, and no variance. Yeah, no variance at all. <laughs> and you know the other thing that you got to think of that you could make money from is you could then donate. You could sperm bank donations. <laughs> 
You could cash in on both ends. Like you could have a jug and you could just fill it up. But I, I, I think I think that doing it that often, I think there wouldn't be that much sperm coming out a lot of times. It's it's like when, when it depends on what you eat. You know, don't the porn stars don't they eat something to make uh, the quantity there? I don't know. When, when they ask for sperm samples, you're actually instructed not to jerk off for like three days. And yeah, I wonder if they they, yeah, they they probably wouldn't like that. Like the lady at the counter wouldn't like it if you showed up with a milk jug full of sperm anywhere, you know? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so you think uh, two hundred bucks is your your break even point for this thing? Uh, like, yeah, I think I think that, the edge to do yeah, it. I think that should push me, push me to do it uh, to take the two hundred rather than the million up front. Now, what if it was a, a prop bet where someone would give you a million dollars? If you jerked off twice a day every day for six years, but if you and you had to do it twice a day every day, and it was verified in some way, and if you didn't reach that, you had to pay them a million. No, I wouldn't do it because there'd be days I could get sick, and other things where it wouldn't be either be very inconvenient or even difficult to physically complete. Or what if they gave you, you know, some some decent odds on that? Like, what odds would you require? I don't know. The problem is, like, I've had some very bad colds where, like, the worst day of the cold. I, I don't think I could do it. Nothing, not that the hottest girl in the world couldn't help you out. No, I, I think I think physically it, it just wouldn't happen. Uh, it's like I'm really feeling sick. I think physically, sometimes it won't happen. Mm. Now they don't. I feel like doing it, but I think even if I did feel like it, I think physically it wouldn't happen. So that that'd be my fear over a period of six years. Now the question I just saw it. It was on uh, a website. They just had people asking the question. So I saw it, and I figured I'd ask you. Okay, I, I was hoping this is like an original thought on your part, but no, I have no original thoughts. Man. Okay. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it was a good topic anyway. Good discussion topic. Break, breaks up the the seriousness of this show. All right. Well, uh, thank you for being part of the show this evening, and uh, I'll fi- finish out the final two topics uh, without you. You can fall asleep to my beautiful voice. All right, and then check out that <clears throat> check out that story about him shooting the. Uh, Aviation fuel tanks is pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna I'm definitely gonna look at that. I, I, I been, just I'll, I'll put it in the chat room right now. Someone else put it in there earlier. Um, or actually, no, I'll put it in in Skype for you. Okay. Yeah, I've I've been trying to read everything I can about this story. So, okay. all righty, later. Thank you. Good night. So I'm back alone here. Just me. In fact, when when Calwatt goes away, there's like there's not really background noise while he's here, but I, I can tell he's here kind of. Is I can kind of hear like a like it's just a little bit in the background, like that there's another person present with me. And then he he goes away, and it's just silence. I hear in my ears just like a nothingness, and it's kind of a weird feeling. It's kind of like the audio version of being just dropped in a dark room where you can't see anything. And after you've had someone on the phone all this time, or on Skype all this time, whatever way you want to put it, to just be here yourself, it's just kind of a a strange feeling. But I, I know I have our lovely audience here listening to me. And I know in the near future, I will have more of a lovely audience listening to me individually through the various podcasting platforms. Let's talk about the court 
Another court action, not the one I was just talking about in Alabama, but another court action involving a casino. This one having to do with a card counter. So as you guys probably know, I was once a card counter. I never did it for a living, but I did it kind of just for fun. Just kind of enjoyed playing blackjack, didn't enjoy being a losing player, which... You will be in blackjack unless you card count. So I learned how to do it. Jay Stat, who listens to this show, I know he's a card counter too. And in general, I I'm I consider myself an advantage player, not like a serious advantage player, but an advantage player nonetheless. And I, I'm very sympathetic towards advantage players, and I understand why they irritate casinos, but at the same time there's something the casino just has to deal with. The casino has to design their games carefully so advantage players can't take advantage of it. It's just, it's kind of a game back and forth. The casino's trying to beat you and then you learn a way to beat them. Totally fair. Turnabout is fair play. So, I'm typically pro-advantage player, as you might guess. And when casinos take actions to do things against advantage players, especially actions that I think are unfair or unnecessarily punitive. Uh, I'm usually very against the casino in such cases. So here's a situation that I want to discuss because I don't always take the side of the advantage players. You might remember the story of the guy who played the World Series of Poker this year and had a 600K stack, which was well above average. And they took it, and he was not allowed to cash. He was definitely going to cash in the World Series. It was just like moments before the cash hit. They took his stack off the table and booted him out because he was not supposed to be there. He was banned from all Caesars properties. And I said, look, I have no sympathy for this guy because he knew he was banned from the property, and he came to play anyway under a fake name. And when you take that risk, then if they catch you, tough luck. So, I support advantage play, but when you start taking risks that don't really make sense, when you try to continue to play when you've been banned, then you are really, you you have to roll with the consequences. You can't scream it's unfair when there's consequences for these actions. It's one thing if they try to force consequences upon you that you did not know about or which are unfair in the first place. But if you're told you can't come back there and then you come back there and you suffer a consequence for that, well, that's your own fault. You've just done something you shouldn't have. So here's a story that came out on September 26th that involves an Indiana player who played at a casino called Hoosier Park in that state. His name is Thomas Donovan, and he's an, an admitted advantage player and an admitted card counter and video poker player. He was banned from another casino called the Grand Victoria Casino in Indiana in 2010, and actually took them to court. And the, India, the Indiana Supreme Court affirmed 
his ban from the Grand Victoria Casino. Now, keep in mind, in each state, they have different rules about the reasons someone can be banned. In, in Atlantic City, for example, they cannot ban you for being an advantage player. In Nevada, they can. In most states, they can. So he tried to challenge this in Indiana, where they don't, you know, they don't have a huge gambling community. They don't have a whole lot of casinos there. There's some, but he tried to challenge this. They didn't have all that mature uh, gambling laws over there. But it came down against him. So this is a... It was an article here from September 2010 that says the Indiana Supreme Court has given casinos a double win today, saying that businesses can ban card counting and also that the state statute doesn't allow patrons to recover losses they might incur because of problem gambling. So it was basically saying, yes, you can boot card counters, and yes, if somebody comes in there who's a problem gambler and then wants to get their money back that they lost, it's tough luck. doesn't matter if they're a problem gambler or not. If they, if they go in and gamble, then they're risking it. So that was in 2010. And it was actually this Thomas Donovan who tried to get the court to overturn their right to ban him from a casino called the Grand Victoria Casino. But let's get back to the present. Uh, He had a lawsuit against Hoosier Park, which is a different casino in Indiana. And uh, he was banned in 2011. So only a year after the Indiana Supreme Court said that the the Grand Victoria Casino could uh, ban him. So Hoosier Park banned him in 2011. They sent him a letter, certified. It was addressed to him. They did uh, address it, I guess, to the wrong middle initial. They addressed it to Thomas T. Donovan. His actual name is Thomas P. Donovan, but yeah, close enough. They sent him a certified letter letting him know that uh, for the next two years, he was not allowed to set foot on the property of Hoosier Park. And if he did, he would be arrested. He did sign the certified mail receipt. But he returned to Hoosier Park anyway during that time and used someone else's player's club card. The third time he came back there, they realized who he was, and Hoosier Park security confronted him. And they also brought Indiana gaming agents with them. So as he was leaving, after they confronted him, then an agent from uh, Indiana Gaming approached him and said, we need to speak to you about the trespassing. And Thomas Donovan said, nope, I I don't need to speak to you about this. I I just want to leave. I have a right to leave. So then, did I say Hoosier? The the agent's name is Jeremy... Hoosier. It's kind of, it's funny. This is Hoosier Park, and this was a this is a gaming agent. It doesn't work for them. This is an Indiana State gaming agent named Jeremy Hoosier. It's getting confusing. But Hoosier blocked the exit and told Thomas Donovan that he's being arrested. It didn't end there. 
Thomas Donovan was not allowing them to arrest him, and there was a little scuffle, and they finally handcuffed him. So he resisted the arrest a bit, too. He ended up being booked and convicted of Class B misdemeanor disorderly conduct. So in late 2012, he sued Hoosier Park and also sued the Indiana Gaming Commission and sued the agents involved, including this Hoosier guy. And he claimed false arrest, or wrongful arrest, false imprisonment, malicious prosecution, abusive process, and battery. And a summary judgment was then granted in favor of all the of the defendants. So his lawsuit failed. Now, a summary judgment, for those of you that don't know, is one that's uh, entered without a full trial. It's often something that uh, the, 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 the lawsuit is, is, is not a valid lawsuit in the first place. So it just gets dismissed. They don't have to go through a full trial. The, the judge has a right to do that. So that's what a summary judgment is. And so this was dismissed. And then he appealed the summary judgment. And now, just recently, uh, it has been affirmed. The, the appellate court ruled that Thomas Donovan was properly kicked out and that uh, most of his cl- that all of his claims about wrongful arrest and false imprisonment and malicious prosecution, blah, 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 that this all predicated on the assumption that he was not falsely evicted from the property. But the appellate court said, look, they had a right to kick him out, and that everything else he's claiming would only be possible if they didn't have a right to get rid of him. Once they had a right to get rid of him, all these things he's claiming could not have happened. Now, Donovan argued that Hoosier Park violated a statute in the letter sent to him telling him he can't come in. But the judge said that uh, Hoosier Park only can answer to the Gaming Commission not to the individual. And if there's any problem with the letter they sent, that he has to bring it to them. He can't just decide the letter is legally invalid. That basically, once they say you can't come back and that you'll be arrested, that you have to respect that, even if the letter has some kind of issue that might make it legally invalid. Even if that were true, it would have to be the Gaming Commission that determines that, not him, the judge said. They also said as far as the agents, that the agents had probable cause to arrest him based on his trespassing and that uh, the agents were acting within the scope of their employment and what they were doing. They also reviewed the surveillance video from the arrest and they said that uh, the agents used reasonable force to arrest him. So the problem with the advantage play community is often they just automatically take the side of the player in any kind of dispute. 
I don't. I look at it fairly. And this is someone, again, who is sympathetic towards the advantage player community. But I don't automatically take every advantage player's side in every situation. This is very simple to me. This guy got a letter that he received and read that said, if you come back in the next two years, we will arrest you for trespassing. He knowingly chose to come back three times. On the third time, they realized it, and they had a right to arrest him. He tried to leave without being arrested. Well, you can't do that. When you committed a crime, you can't go, well, I've committed a crime, but uh, I, I have a right to leave. Goodbye. You can't do that. You can't say this to a law enforcement agent. And keep in mind, they already had gaming commission agents there. It wasn't like, this wasn't even just security. The, it was the gaming commission agent he was trying to get away from. You, you can't tell a law enforcement agent, you, you can't tell them, I have a right to leave. You can't arrest me. Yes, they can. So he chose to knowingly trespass. They caught him doing so. And they arrested him for doing so. Now, it, once they arrested him, if he wanted to try to bring issue with, with uh, the trespass being invalid or whatever, then he has a right to do that. But you can't just say, oh, I'm leaving. You can't arrest me. And then if, if he tries to leave and won't let them arrest him and they have to scuffle with him, then that's his fault. I never like it when, in any case, someone resists arrest in some way and then complains about police brutality. Yes, there is such thing as false arrest. Yes, there's unjust arrest. But, but you, you, the solution is never to fight. The solution is to let them arrest you and then deal with it later with, with attorneys if, if you really were wrongfully arrested. Caller, you on the air. That's a great call. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know why some people do this. They, they just call, and when I answer, they hang up. Like, why call them? Anyway, th- this guy just... It looked like he just sued because he was pissed off or just imagined in his head he was wronged in some way. And I never got the advantage players who do this. They take the risk of going to a place where they've been told, if you show up, we'll arrest you. Then they get arrested or they get detained by the casino. They go, what? How could you do this to me? Well, that's the chance you took. Why, Why did you go back there? You knew. You knew. There have been... A number of stories where casinos have abused players who are advantage players. But this is not one of them. This guy looks like he deserved everything he got. It looks like everybody handled him in a a professional and uh, standard manner. So, just wanted to mention that. And it's important if you are a supporter of advantage play like I am that you don't Give blanket support to anyone in the community when they get into a dispute that you have to understand when someone is or is not really at fault. Finally, a Poker Fraud Alert exclusive. Why we're doing this last, I don't know. But we are. The Hilton Aruba that was the site of the Poker Players Championship, the PPC Aruba, that ended in disaster, which turned out to be a Ponzi scheme, where the 
owners of the PPC, Sandy Schwarzbach and Brian Olton, just made off with all the money. And the people at the final table didn't get paid. Still haven't gotten paid. There's a lawsuit involved. It's a big mess. The Hilton Aruba is trying to get their poker room going again. And you may say, okay, well, why blame them? They were just the venue. It was these guys who ran the Ponzi scheme you should be mad at, not not the Hilton Aruba where it happened to take place. And that's kind of what I picture. I just kind of pictured that they called the Aruba, said, hey, let's have our tournament here. The, your, the Hilton Aruba said, sure. And that they had no idea. But it, it looks like it wasn't quite that. Looks like it wasn't quite that. So, there's, uh, they're trying to get poker tournaments to go there again. And they're trying to bribe poker pros to play for free and be the stars of the event. They can promote like such and such poker pro is here. Come play with such and such poker pro. Now, you may say, okay, that goes on all the time. Sponsored players that play in tournaments. That is true. But what you may not know is the fact that uh, they're actually trying, that there is actually more to this story about the uh, Poker Players Championship and its association with this room. So I'm not going to tell you who brought this story to me because I don't think they want their name known, but it's a female poker player. She's not really well-known. Some people know her, but she's not like super well-known or anything. It's not a really big name. But this is what she wrote. She said, I need to get some fraud info out. And she sent this to me and like three others. Hilton Aruba dealers, security personnel, and general manager Mark, and that is, uh, we're talking about Mark Charlie, have all reached out to me about persuading me to come to Aruba since the PPC Ponzi scheme. Whether you all knew or not, PPC bought out the Aruba poker room, the Hilton Aruba poker room. So supposedly the, the Poker Players Championship actually owned that poker room at the Hilton Aruba. Money and funds were handled through it illegally to not pay out players. Now their reputation has been tarnished, as it should, and they are trying to bribe players to come be their star pros for these small 10K and 50K guaranteed events with no regulated gaming commission. Some seriously fishy stuff, and I have proof via Facebook messages and, uh, and all, but want to get this out in public and players to avoid the Aruba, uh, avoid Aruba poker like the plague. So what she's saying here is that, first of all, this whole room was owned by the PPC and may still be owned by them. It's, it's not clear. And second, that there's no regulation. That if you go play one of these tournaments in Aruba, there's no regulation. And if you get screwed, there's no one to complain to. And that they're trying to get the whole thing going again by buying in poker pros to these tournaments to make it look like everything's fine there. So they're going to promote such and such person's there. You'll think, okay, well, if this person plays, it's probably okay. In reality, the only reason these people are there is because they're being bought in. So I actually, I've been sent these Facebook messages back and forth. This is from this Mark Charlie. He, says, uh, he asked this person, this woman, 
is it true that poker players don't want to come to Aruba because of what happened with the PPC thing? And she says, yes, hands down. Because PPC was affiliated with Hilton Aruba, and they bought out their poker room. Plus, the Gaming Commission doesn't regulate in Aruba, which is a big reason the scandal happened there and nowhere else. Once the PPC fell, Hilton Aruba took over their poker room again. But yes, that scandal and the people that worked at the event knew shady things were going on. Uh... uh to say you can't pay out, that's just wrong. Hilton Aruba didn't get punished. They didn't offer to help the players get paid. The players did. The PPC got off filing bankruptcy, didn't pay players. Why would dealers and managers contact players to get our business back if they didn't realize how bad it was? The word is out. Aruba will never see an event. Trust, another event, trust me. Its reputation is ruined. Be careful who you affiliate with. I'm still owed over 2 k for travel expenses and expenditures I will never see again. I paid for stays into a main event I didn't even cover enough to pay players or that didn't cover enough to even pay players because people stole money and blamed it on the Aruban government. So we've, we've talked about that story before. Uh, so let's see here. More to this here. Uh, complete lie and BS. We called the government a casino and all. Lawyers did investigations. It's messed up. And they filed bankruptcy and got away with it and vanished off the face of the earth. Brian Olton and Sandy Schwarzbach screwed people. Anyone affiliate they're affiliated with, I won't trust. Tampa Bay Downs and Maryland Live Casino here got sued for affiliating with PPC and them. It's sad it happened and it had to go to that extreme, but that's the way, only way to solve it. Sorry. So that, that was the big smackdown put on this Mark Charlie guy by this woman he was trying to get to go play there. Again, this is like a not very well-known female poker pro. Like a little bit known, but not that well-known. So Mark Charlie says back, I feel y'all pain. That's Y-A-L-L. I feel y'all pain. The Hilton Casino really didn't have anything to do with it. Uh, we just host it like we did. Uh, hold on. Let me... Hang on a second here. Trying to get to the next message. Okay. Um... So they said, we are a small land. We depend on tourists, so we know better than to rob people. So I, I guess the person writing to her is actually not Mark Charlie. I guess it's someone who works for Mark Charlie. And she, he says, uh, okay, my GM, Mark Charlie, says he wants to put you in as a special guest poker pro for a 50K guaranteed tournament. We're going to have it in December. Uh, you're not going to headline it. So I guess he's trying to say that... Uh, She's uh, she's not going to uh, headline it for they're going to buy her in. But then uh, then she got messages from Mark Charlie himself. Mark Charlie said, um, "Oh no, no, it's not. Never mind. I'm reading the wrong thing. Sorry about this. It's confusing." Uh, so then she actually said, "Send me info- email on this." I need the info. I, need, I I don't know what you're asking. So I think she's just probing for info. I don't think she was ever considering this. He said, I will. I'm now manager in the poker room. We did a 10K guaranteed a few months ago, and it was good, so we're doing a 50K guaranteed. I want you to be the superstar for our 50K guaranteed tournament. I think Mark will pay for you to be part of the event as our superstar. If you say, okay, I will get it done. I'll just talk to my GM, Mark. He will sponsor you all the way if you decide to be the face of our 50K guaranteed. 
So they're actually trying to get this woman to be the face of it. I guess she is going to headline it. And again, this is not a big name. This is not like Vanessa Selbst. This is not uh, Liv Bory. This is this is a female poker pro you probably haven't heard of. Maybe you've heard of her, but this isn't someone who you'd, you'd hear she's involved and go, "Oh yeah, I know her." Like most people don't know who she is, but they they're so desperate that they're actually willing to put her in and maybe even pay for her travel over there in order to get it going, just because they think they believe that there's a number of people who trust her. Because this this is a person who's never been involved, uh, you know, with anything that that's to where people have been critical of her. No scandals, really. So, that's pretty disturbing. That after all that happened there, they're just trying to get it going again. And they're, again, they're not trying to make anything right that happened previously. It's not like they're saying, let's get these tournaments going again and we're going to cover what happened before. No, they just wanted to reset they just, want, they just want to continue. And it's not even clear who owns it right now. It's not even clear if, if, if they own the poker room again. The Hilton, Aruba, or if this is still owned by the PPC. So obviously stay away from any tournaments in Aruba. It's not regulated at all, and they, they can screw you if they want. Someone in chat saying, so she's going back after all that standard, not a concern for the others that were scammed. I don't believe so. I think she was just collecting info. So here's some news about Stephen Paddock. Uh, He has a younger brother who... uh, has been in trouble for a lot of things. I guess there's a warrant out for his arrest, but it's not what you think. Uh, Apparently, he just has a whole list of violations. Uh, For example, in 2014, he was busted for vandalism. But, uh, I guess, he, he... no-showed for a 2016 court date, so there is a warrant for his arrest, but it's, it's it has nothing to do with this. It's kind of, I wouldn't say fake news, but misleading news. Like, you, you think they're looking for his brother, or you think they either want him as a witness to this, or they're thinking he's involved. No, it's just for failing to appear in court a year ago over a minor matter. So, I would never want to give a second chance to any of these shady poker rooms that have screwed people. They just don't deserve it. Yeah, I guess he has an extensive rap sheet, this younger brother named Bruce. But... It's all for. It's not really related to this type of thing. I think the worst thing he did was arson, which is pretty bad. But he's just a messed up guy. I, I don't think he was involved in this. To be honest, I don't think that Stephen would have even trusted him <laughs> to 
at something like this. I think he'd be afraid he'd mess it up. He couldn't even vandalize something in 2014 without getting caught. So, it doesn't mean much. I mean, yeah, his, his father was dead now, but his father was on the FBI most wanted list in the 70s for, I think, bank robbery or something. So keep in mind, a week from today, October 11th, I will be at Live at the Bike. Hopefully I don't do anything too embarrassing on there. Hopefully I win. Not as high limit a game as what I played at the Stones Casino, but it is no limit. I don't play that much with no limit cash, so won't be quite as second nature on there. And hopefully I won't do anything that exposes myself as a limit hold'em donk. Thank you to Calwa. Thank you to Trader Ruski for co-hosting tonight. Thank you to Charham and Trader Ruski again for donating to the free roll. And I'm glad we had a nice audience tonight to listen to our analysis of the Stephen Paddock situation. I'm sure we'll have more information when we do our next show, which won't be on Wednesday. We're probably looking at either Thursday or Friday. I don't want to do a Tuesday, because I'd like to talk about the Live at the Bike appearance, and I can only do that after I appear. So look for it to be on October 12th or October 13th, most likely. Check twitter.com slash pokerfraudalert for information on the date and time of the next episode. And... You know, this is, it's so weird. I'm finishing the show here after about four hours and 20 minutes or so. And it, it feels like it's a short show. I'm like, I feel like I haven't been on here that long. I feel like we've barely been around, but this is longer than just about any other show you probably would listen to. <laughs> now our short episodes are the four and a half hour ones. All right, people. We'll be back next week. You never know what will happen next. Good night. Watch Live at the Bike, 6 p.m. Pacific Time, October 11th. Shalom.